0: Now I'm going to give you a handout. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give you this before I start. And I don't need to be like uh, young people in schools where, you know, even before I start, you're looking through and reading things back here. Uh, try, and, try and be good and follow it on with me. Yeah, so there's no PowerPoint because I I know I know Dick Lucas was really disappointed they couldn't use PowerPoint (laughs) (laughs) today. So so so. So, uh, thank you Janice for, for producing these for me. So I, I was greatly encouraged that as we were going around and sharing, there was a couple of guys over here, can't remember. Have been, have been, have been guys, yeah, maybe a gentleman over there as well, I think, talking about um, trying to reach out to Jehovah's Witnesses or interest in reaching out to cults and new religious movements. It's, it's really something the Lord's laid on my heart. Obviously, I, I spent a bit of time as a Jehovah's Witness many, many years ago. But um, I find that we as evangelists and people trying to reach people with the gospel... We we want to reach those that are uninformed, but what about those who are misinformed? And there are these guys, Jehovah's Witnesses particularly we're talking about this afternoon, who've been misinformed, many of them searching for God, searching for meaning in life, and they've ended up with a knock on the door and they've ended up in this group, and now believing they have the truth. And uh, many Jehovah's Witnesses have spent time in our churches as well, which is uh, interesting. They'll say, well, I used to go to Sunday school. Or I used to be in false religion, as they would call it. And, uh, but I never really knew what I believed or why I believed it. And that's a real key issue, what we're thinking about today. If we don't know what we believe and why we believe it, then we're open to be caught by some of these groups. So, for example, if you don't know um, why uh, be able to defend, for example, the deity of Christ, or know why the Trinity is true and biblical, um, these guys will come along and tie you in knots. And make you think very quickly that uh, the Trinity doesn't exist, that Jesus can't be God. And if you've never really grappled with that yourself and really understood that and what the Bible teaches about those things, you can be open to these guys. So uh, just a bit of a a precursor there to what I want to say. So I joined the Association of Evangelists last August and um, with this particular idea of being an evangelist to new religious movements. And uh, I find that's a, a good term to use with these guys. They certainly get offended if you call them a cult. I don't know why. But if you, you, know, if you talk to them and say, well, you, know, you're, you belong to a new religious movement, they don't really get that term. And so it's more neutral. And so they're, they're accepting of that. But they are cults, to all intents and purposes. So I, I've got a ministry, a website called Cults Investigated. And I put on there, sharing the truth in love, because that's what we need to do. And we're not going to attack them. Um, we're not going to uh, to just get into an argument with them, but we, we want to win them for Jesus and love them. And um, so I've got a website. Uh, you can see there as well, there's a little page from the website. You can go on there. After today, if you want any information, any, any questions that haven't been answered today, if you want any literature about some of this stuff, I can send it on to you. So just, just drop me an email. Okay, so the Bible tells us, and and the uh, the verse that we often used when we're talking about uh, apologetics and reaching people, 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks uh, you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And again, I think Dick mentioned, didn't he, about how we don't know how to, how to talk to these people, we don't know how to address them, so often we don't open the door when they come to our house. So we, we close the curtains, we hide behind the settee, if we, if we open the door we might just set the dog on them to get them out of the garden, because uh, we, we're not confident in what we're saying to them. We think they know their Bible so much that uh, we, we can't talk to them. But hopefully after today, and some of you will know already, you can talk to these guys. And you can share something worthwhile with them. But just to mention as well, I've got Ephesians 6.12 there. Really important because in dealing with these guys in the cults, um, you're engaged in spiritual warfare. And if you've spent any time with these guys, it is absolutely draining afterwards. And you feel like you're banging your head against a brick wall. And, and uh, it's a real difficulty sharing the gospel with these guys. And it's like they're not listening. And today I want to talk a little bit about why they're not listening and what's going on in their minds. But it is um, a question of, of battling Satan. We, it's not the person on your doorstep, it's what's behind them that's the problem. And so we're told in Ephesians 6.12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So if you are engaging these guys, and on a regular basis, or you're starting to meet them, I would suggest you get people to pray for you. Let people know you're meeting them. If you've got the names of these JWs, tell people their names, tell them when you're meeting, get people to cover you in prayer. So that um, you will be protected somewhat. I like these verses in Romans 10, 1 to 4. You can see I've I've added JWs in there. Usually it would say Israel. But um, this is from my perspective as someone who's been involved with Jehovah's Witnesses. uh, As it was for Paul and, and Israel. But if we put JWs in there, it says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Jehovah's Witnesses is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Interesting, Dick was talking a lot about knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So Jehovah's Witnesses, as you know, are incredibly zealous. They are everywhere. And... um, so um, they're, they're all over my city, Bradford, I often sort of tell this little story of I was talking to some guys at our church about reaching out to Jehovah's Witnesses and one of the guys, Jeff, he goes to work really early in the morning and um, a while back sometime last year he, he called me, it was around about 6.30am or something and he's like, Tony, I'm at, I'm at the train station in Bradford and there's some Jehovah's Witnesses here. But what do you want me to do? You know, so I jump out of bed, put my sort of <coughs> cult buster uniform on and come down and talk to them, Jeff. You know, that's what I told you to do. But they're everywhere. Train stations, city centres knocking on doors, standing with their carts. They're ex- extremely zealous. Um, and they have a zeal for God. But it's based on a false gospel, false knowledge, false biblical knowledge. Uh, but they don't realise that, obviously. So what did Jehovah's Witness knocks on your door? What do you do? So give you a chance to share. What, what might you do? So I come along, you open the door, I give you my spiel about, um, you know, uh, is the world a bad place and it's terrible and, you know, what do you think about these things? What, what might you say to them? Don't be shy. There's no, no right or wrong.
1: Because they thought put us on your blacklist. You don't normally
0: not like go <laughs> <Yeah. often. laughs> yeah. to start Just, with. Yeah, and they'll say, oh, are you? And then <laughs> they'll go, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah so. I
2: usually go straight to John's Gospel.
0: Mm, really good place to go. Yeah, anywhere particular in John's Gospel? Where it
1: says, um, Jesus, uh, the word is a God. Yeah. And I then
2: say to them, sadly, I, I, I'm so sad for you. Do not know. Yeah. Jesus
0: is God. Yeah. Yeah, very good. John's gospel's good. John one one's a good place to go. We'll talk about that in a little while. I, yeah. I'm asking how did you become a JW? That's not what we're talking about Norman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, um,
1: at
0: yeah. some point I wanted to share my testimony with them and yeah of That's that's what Yeah. That's what I can tell you what happened to me in, in, in yeah. very quickly. Um so I, I spent three and a half years with Jehovah's Witnesses. And they're not on my sister's door. didn't though.
3: ask you how did
1: you...
0: No, oh, it. oh, sorry. No,
1: that was my question that I would ask them. Oh, you would ask them? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I'm
0: Sorry. Yeah, it's just been a long time. Just to quote, I've been did. in London 24 just, just, hours. <laughs> just, to, just to quote,
1: Dick, can you wake up, please? Yeah, <laughs> sorry. I'm uh, sorry, yeah. Sorry. I'd but, ask them
0: that. You'd ask them how they became a yeah. the JW. Okay, yeah, I'll tell you my story. later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. okay, yeah, that's good. Yeah. You could ask them. Yeah, um, have you always been a Jehovah's Witness? Were you brought up in the Jehovah's Witnesses? Yeah. What caused you to join yeah. the Jehovah's Witnesses? Good question. Mm-hmm. Good. And how,
3: percentage-wise, what would that be of those brought up in it and those who've become? Oh,
0: I don't know. I don't know exactly. 50-50 or? I would say more more brought up in it than. Then mm. those converted to it, but once I've spoken to that yeah, my impression. Yeah, really? Um yeah. Yeah, so. mm.
1: time I, I yeah, before they I just before they start their sphere like, I would stand I know what you're here for. I'm going to tell you what happened to me when I was thirteen years old. Mm. and I'd give my testimony. Yeah. And then I'd say to them, Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your own
2: personal
1: Saviour? So yeah. yeah. And then they they try and go into another uh,
2: yeah. Yes, to... yeah, really what good. That
0: follow-up question is really important from, from the back of a testimony. I think to say that's that's my testimony, that's my story. What's your testimony? Because they don't have one. That's what. And that's what and that's you're about, getting yeah. at, isn't it? Yeah. Just that's to get where off the yeah. contentious issues to. A... Absolutely. Yeah. We're going to talk about that in a while, aren't we? Because we. As an aside, let's ask one to. question. Yeah.
2: Is it true that there are more? ex-JWs
0: than the RJWs. <laughs> um, potentially, yeah. yeah. Again, I don't know statistics. There's a there's a big group of ex-JWs and unfortunately these these guys come out of the group and they, they just become <coughs> atheists, really, yeah. to go back into the world. Uh, like anybody in a cult, I think, once you realise you've been conned, um, yeah. it's hard for you to accept other things then. <coughs> so I, I know some ex-witnesses who are now Christians, but it's been a struggle for them to find a church to go to when they come out for a start. And again, when you belong to a group like this who say, we know the truth, we can understand all the Bible, and it's, it's very rigid to go into a church like a friend of mine uh, uh, named Jason. He, he left the JWs. He was looking for a church to go to, and the first church he went to, he said, I don't think the vicar even believed the Bible, let alone anything else. So, so to go from sort of this where you know, it's very solid and you're told everything, into sort of this wishy-washy stuff, it's really, really hard for them. Uh, they, want, they need it to be replaced with something solid as well, if they're going to accept that. But the, yeah, there's lots of ex-witnesses. Not, I mean, people go in for a while and then, and then leave. Um, you know, They've got a big turnover. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I'll tell you about a guy I once heard giving his testimony. He was uh, an ex-Jehovah's Witness. And he said, um, he was talking about what to say when they knock on your door. And he said he once did this to some Jehovah's Witnesses. He said, they knocked on my door and I opened the door and I gave them a big smile and welcomed them. And I said, it's fantastic to see you here today. I knew you were going to come to my house today. And they looked really surprised and they said, how, how would you know that? And he said, well, I was reading my Bible this morning. And they got all excited and said, really, were you reading Matthew 24:14 Which says the good news of the kingdom, we've preached in all the inhabited earth. He said, no, I was reading Matthew 7:15 which says, watch out for false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, <laughs> but in anyway, they're the ravenous wolves. So I don't suggest you do that, but <laughs> I'm being accompanied. It's the opening, so we can hear so, more. Yeah,
3: say so yeah. it.
0: <laughs> That's okay. The key thing is to say something, to say something, to not avoid them. Testimony is good. We're going to talk about these things a little while. Testimony is good. Questions are good for Jehovah's Witnesses. They're programmed to answer questions, so we want to do that. Uh, Dr. Walter Martin, who wrote the book *The Kingdom of the Cults*, uh, once said this: He said the average Jehovah's Witness can make a doctrinal pretzel out of the average Christian in about 30 seconds. That's quite a statement. But again, they are trained. In, in all that they're going to say to you. That's all they do. They train to answer your questions. And um, I remember hearing, have you heard of Dr. James White? You may have heard of James White. He's an American apologist. He was saying um, he, he once uh, had a, a Jehovah's Witness housewife knock on his door. And she stood in his doorstep for about 10 or 15 minutes explaining the Greek of John 1-1 to him. And... Um, just really going through it all and everything. And he was like, this is, this is just a, a housewife, you know. And uh, he, said, he said to her, can you just wait a minute? And he went and got his own Greek New Testament and gave it to her and said, can you show me in the Greek New Testament what you're talking about? And she couldn't, of course, <laughs> because all she's doing is, is repeating things. That's something for you to be aware of as well. When they start getting technical, oh, well, the Greek says this and the indefinite article and the Hebrews are that, they're just repeating what they've heard. If you know even a little bit of Greek, you, you'll find out that they don't know what they're talking about. But they're trained. She was trained to answer the objections that they're going to hear on the doorstep. And they're trained to deal with us. Can
3: I, do you mind yeah. asking, Thomas? Sorry, I won't keep interrupting. What do you mean by trained? So, so if you you, you, join, you start going to the Kingdom yeah. Hall, mm-hmm. and then what? They have some lessons
0: today where yeah. you
3: go and they teach you what to say to yeah.
0: them. So they have a little book i think it's I think it's still the one they use called the reasoning book if they ever if you ever you stump them a little bit they get a little brown book out it 's called the reasoning book that's got all the answers to all the questions that we might ask them so they'll go through that but also in the kingdom hall during the week they will practice door to door situations so you will be the, the householder and and then the jW will respond and so they're ready for all the things particularly to do with the deity of Christ they're ready for all those questions so I'm not saying we shouldn't talk to them about those things. We should, but the reality is it can be a bit fruitless because you, it's just like throwing verses at each other. And so there's other questions we can ask them to to unpick them a little bit, uh, a, a little bit like um, David was suggesting again. You know, asking them a question they're not really ready for, rather than the things that they're very ready for. So they do. They have a kingdom ministry training school. Um, I think they've renamed it now. I can't quite remember what it is, but. Again, particularly the ladies train door-to-door situations and some of the men do it, but the men are then trained to speak in the Kingdom Hall as well from the platform. So they're they are two, three hours a week through their book studies, um, through that, through their Kingdom Hall meetings. They are learning all this stuff constantly. So there's nothing ever new. That's what's, that's what's good about this. Reasoning because, from the Scriptures. Reasoning from the so Scriptures, yeah. The reasoning book, yeah. yeah. Um They're training all this stuff, so there's nothing ever new. So once you know what they believe about something, you will know what they're going to say. And so that's a good thing for us. They see that as a strength, it's actually a weakness. Mm -hmm. I I was speaking somewhere the other week, um, and we're talking about the difference between Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. And again, somebody once said, (coughs) you ask um, the same question to ten Jehovah's Witnesses, you will get ten exact same answers, pretty much. We ask the same question to 10 Mormons, you'll get 15 different answers <laughs> because so you don't know where they're coming from. But the JWs are pretty solid. You know where they're going to go. Once you've spoken to a few about the same topic, they'll take you to the same verses, have the same arguments, and so that, that can help us. Let's move on. Get, into, get me into things I'm not ready for yet. Here's a question for us then. What kind of person would join the Jehovah's Witnesses? What do you think? The
2: Catholic.
0: Pardon? Ex oh, they, they do have a number of ex Catholics, yeah. Yeah, it's true. Seeking, Seeking the, meaning of, the meaning of life. Seeking the meaning of life, yeah. Lonely people. Lonely people. Sales people. Sales people. Hmm. people like you. People like me, yeah. <laughs> Sad, lonely, <laughs> sickos. <laughs> yeah, have, no friends.
3: People who've got a grudge against society, is that true? Uh, yeah.
0: Potentially. Yeah, I think so. Mm. I think the answer I always give is anyone. Because, you know, they like all the cults, they recruit people. You know, Nobody, nobody wakes up in, in the morning and thinks, well, I think I'm going to join a cult today. Um, you're recruited in by a technique. And often it begins with people who are sort of lonely, people who are searching for meaning, which was me. Searching for meaning after my mother died. Uh, these kind of people, and they come and they, they sort of love bomb you. And, and help you, and care for you, and all this stuff, and seem very attractive, and, and then you get into what they believe in, having a, a Bible study with them, which is not a Bible study. This is another thing you can say to Jehovah's Witnesses. If you invite them round for a Bible study, when they're sat down in your house, and uh, they get their little book out, you want to say, well, actually, I thought we were having a Bible study, not a Watchtower book study, because it's always through their literature. So you, you end up... Sort of falling into this group, and very quickly you begin to think like them, act like them, dress like them. Should have brought you my little briefcase; I've still got it from when I was with them. And um, you think you've found meaning and purpose and a family, and, and this group becomes your family. So any any of us are susceptible to these groups, and that's why not everybody or anybody should have them in their house. And be um, careful who you send to the door. You know, don't send your teenager to the door to deal with them or something because you don't want to you've got to be very careful because the devil's soul and um, these arguments that they put forward sound convincing and biblical and solid and so we've got to be really really careful with them if just have a quick look at this chart JW's versus biblical Christianity Um, so they have their own bible the new world translation we'll talk about that in a moment Uh, we have various versions uh, their God is Unitarian, whereas ours is, is Triune. Uh, Jesus for them is, they say he's the Son of God, but he's not eternal. And he's also the Archangel Michael. Uh, for us, Jesus is the Son of God, eternal and God, second person of the Trinity. Uh, for them, the Holy Spirit is an impersonal force. Uh, they talk about him as God's active force. Sounds like something more from Star Wars than the Bible. But impersonal force for us, the Holy Spirit is personal and he's God. Salvation for those guys is very much faith and works. For us it's salvation by faith alone. Uh, Heaven is limited to a a number, 144,000. So the vast majority of JWs you meet will not have a heavenly hope. They don't believe they're going there. Uh, We believe heaven for all who believe. Uh, For them there's no such place as the hell. It's it's the grave. Uh, For us we believe that it's uh, eternal separation, torment. And it's interesting, the founder of Jehovah's Witnesses, Charles Taze Russell, his first objection, I think, to his upbringing, he was brought up in a congregational family, his first objection was to that teaching of people being punished eternally in hell. And so he rejected that very quickly. So uh, when you say by the grave, that means that when you die, you cease to exist. That's right, yeah. There's nothing left when you've gone. We just go to are they
3: Are they judged first or
0: not? Uh, no, not at this point, no. We'll get into that when okay, we get to sorry, salvation. Okay. Yeah, we'll get into it. But yeah, they just believe you cease to exist. They don't see a, They don't see like you've got a body and a soul. You are the soul. When you die, everything's gone. But we'll talk about that when we get to salvation in a moment. So in terms of their, their new world, I've added the word miss just above it there. The new world mistranslation. looks more impressive when it flies in on a PowerPoint. The new world mistranslation <laughs> of the Holy Scriptures. Um... Yeah, they will, they will say, first of all, when they're on a person's door, they'll say, well, look, you're okay to use your own Bible. Um, that's not a problem. But if you begin to meet with them, they will very quickly try and persuade you that the best version to use is the New World Translation. It's uh, it's more accurate, it's, it's user-friendly, and, and all this kind of stuff they'll come out with. And... Um, they, the, one of the questions to ask the Jehovah's Witnesses is, who translated your Bible? That's a good question to ask them, because they don't know. Um, Do
1: they, they say they don't
0: know? Yeah, well, they, usu- they, they, they usually respond by saying, well, they'll say, we, we don't know. And if you say why, they'll say, well, the people that did it don't want any glory or honor to go to them. So, so they wish to remain na- nameless. So I, have to, no, I won't say what I normally say to them I'd be a bit sarky with them and say well if I'd have, if I'd have translated it I'd have wished to be, remain nameless as well but, um, <laughs> but, it, but that doesn't go down well with them but, but the reality is there's five guys that they see as, as, as translators, they don't know the names of these guys but they're all in the public domain and, and the greatest scholar they've, they've ever had was a past president who was pres- president in the 1970s early 80s, a guy called Fred Franz And he knew very little. Uh, When he he was uh, um, in a a court situation, he was asked to say a little bit of Greek, a little bit of Hebrew and translate things. He couldn't do it. But they're still seen within the organisation as their greatest biblical scholar ever. And you'll find that what they've done with the New World Translation is really, is they've just removed words, added words, changed words. That's all they've done. There's large parts of their Bible that they've not changed, so they're the good places to take them to. Because what, what you find is, again. Um, so, what, what version have they done it from? Well, they, they, were, they were sort of doing from the. Well, yep. they talk about the Greek text as Westcott and Hort. Right? So it's you're they haven't done that. They haven't done that at all. No. They haven't done that. Westcott and Hort was the revised version, wasn't yeah, it? I think it was. Yeah, yes. Well, they probably used the revised version. But, it, but actually, I mean, they're very keen on using the King James version yeah. because it has the name Jehovah in there. So, they'll point that to you, which is very clever. Because they'll say, well, have you got King James Version? When they get on to talk about Jehovah is God's name and you must use it, um, they'll say, well, have you got a King James Version? And they'll take you to Psalm 83:18, And in the King James Version, it's got the, the word Jehovah there. So then they'll say, well, look, you know, that's, we're going to get to this in a minute, but that's, that should be all over this Bible. Why isn't it? That's God's name. And so they make a big thing about that. But the fact is they don't know who translated their Bible. So a valid question from us is to say then, well, how do I know I can trust it? Because whatever version I use, I could get you the names of the scholars and the people that were behind that, and you can check out their credentials. But why should I trust your version if you're not telling me who translated it? And again, you know, they'll say, well they wish to remain anonymous They don't want any glory to go to them you can point out that Paul was very happy I put his name against his writings you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and again you can say something a, a little bit silly with them perhaps but again you know it, uh, sometimes you have to go down this road with JWs to get them to think what, what you're on about but I'll say sometimes like you know, imagine you've got really bad toothache on my doorstep right now and I tell you I'm a dentist and if you come inside I'll whip that tooth out for you would you let me do it? And they'll probably say no. And you say, why not? They'll say, well, I'd want to know you that you're a dentist. So you'd want proof of that. You'd, you'd actually want to see my certificate saying I'm a qualified dentist to pull your teeth out. You wouldn't let me do it unless you knew that. And rightly so. So who wrote your, who translated your Bible? So throw that question at them, makes them think. Um, you could ask them this as well. Why does your Bible add the name Jehovah in the New Testament when it's not found in the Greek anywhere? Again, um, they'll say, well, we've added the name Jehovah in the New Testament, where it's a, quote, a direct quote from the Old Testament. So they'll say, where the name Jehovah appears in the Old Testament, we're right in translating it as such into the New Testament. But there are a few places as well where they've added the name in, and it shouldn't be there whatsoever. So, but don't make a big thing about the name Jehovah, you don't need to do that. And why does the New World Translation insert the word other four times into Colossians 1? When it isn't in the Greek manuscripts, doesn't this change the meaning of it? Now, a good thing to do with this before you uh, before you ask them that question, you could ask them um, if they have something called a Kingdom interlinear translation with them. They often have. It's uh, it's an interlinear they'll have in their bag. And when you get their Kingdom interlinear translation out and get them to look at Colossians 1:15 to 20, you will look at it's got the Greek and it's got the literal English underneath, and you'll see that just looking at the Greek with the English underneath, the word other is not there. But then when you move over to their translation down the side, they've inserted the word other four times. Now, in their new version that came out in 2013, um, they've they've changed it, because in the version before that, the word other had brackets around them showing that it had been added. So you could say, well, why have they got brackets around it? And they'll say, well, actually, to help it make it a little bit more sense. <coughs> um, but now in their new translation, they've removed the brackets completely, so it looks like it's actually in the text. But you can show them very clearly from their, their own interlinear, <coughs> the word other is not there. So why have you added that in? Now, I've, I've put in, a, in your handout there, Colossians 1, um, 16 to 16-21, this is their kingdom interlinear, and you can see there the word other that's been added on the right. So they don't have brackets around them now, and it changes the complete meaning. So if you take the word other out, like, like it would in our version, it, start back in verse 15, it's talking about Jesus. It says, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, because by means of him, all things were created. And then further down, all things have been created through him and for him. Also, he is before all things. And by means of him, all things were made to exist. So you see, by adding the word other in there, they've changed the the meaning of, of what Paul is saying there. What they're saying is, because they believe Jesus was the first thing to be created by Jehovah, and then Jesus created everything else, Jesus could only create all other things. He couldn't create all things. Because he was created himself. So they've added that word in, changing the word of God to fit in with their errant theology and their errant doctrine. But if you show them it's not in the Greek, that's very helpful. So they've got to think about that then. They've got to think, why is that word in there? And that's the point of trying to to get them to consider um, what they're being taught and what they're believing. Another useful thing, because they'll often say, well, it just makes it more clear. Well, don't make it more clear at all, but they, they don't see that. So again, you just use a silly example like, you know, I, I begin a new job and um, I get a contract. And in the contract, it said, uh, Tony, you will work every day this week for £1,000. And I get home and have the word other in there. Tony, you work every other day this week for £1,000. Does it change the meaning? Of course it does. So sometimes it's good to just use silly illustrations with them so they understand what you're saying. But yeah, they've, they've done that in lots of places. And again, get in touch with me after today, I can send you lots of other examples of that. Is that okay? Is, is that understandable? Mm-hmm. Good. You're understanding my Yorkshire accent? Mm-hmm. Really good. So is a lot of this stuff on your website as well? Um, there's, there's some uh, articles on my website and some of the stuff there, but a lot of stuff I've just got at home that I can send you copies of, especially their, their documents and articles that s- they slip up on and stuff like that. But yeah, I can send you lots of things. The name Jehovah um, is a big thing for Jehovah's Witnesses. If you've had a chat with them about this, they get really uppity if you don't use the name Jehovah. I was talking to some JWs. they got this guy got really wound up with me. He just walks away from me screaming. His name's Jehovah. And um, because I, I used to say to them, Well, look, you know, I'm, I'm a Jesus witness. You know, Acts 1 8 says, Jesus says, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. I'm a Jesus witness. But they're Jehovah's Witnesses. So they they've been told and they're convinced that Jehovah is God's name, then it must be used. Um, You've got that little bit of Hebrew there, um, which again, reading from right to left, translates as YHWH. So we'll often use the name Yahweh for God. And even in Watchtower literature, they admit that the most accurate, or the nearest we can get to being accurate for the name of God is Yahweh. And then they insist you've got to say Jehovah. So what's all that about? (laughs) But... um, Again, you do have to make a big issue of this, but if you want to go down this road, uh, Jehovah is not the name of God. Uh, And I think, you know, I I was was in Israel last year uh, with my wife for the first time. And it's interesting, you know, I was speaking to a Jewish lady there. And she'd only ever heard of the name. This is a a Hebrew speaking uh, Jewish woman. She's only ever heard of the name Jehovah because of Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm
2: -hmm. Otherwise it didn't
0: mean anything to her. It doesn't mean anything to her. And so this YHWH, or Yahweh, which we can use, but they've insisted it's Jehovah. They took the YHWH, anglicized it, made it JHVH, stuck some vowels in. You can say, where did you get those vowels from? Well, originally they took the word for Lord, Adonai, took vowels out of that, stuck it in, and made up a name. And, so, and they'll admit that. Most Jehovah's Witnesses will admit that they're not sure this is the correct. And I say, well, don't you think it offends God just, just making up a name? And they is well, we're trying our best. And I say, well, I say, well, look, you know, my name's Tony. But if every time we met you called call me Tiny, you know, I'd be, I'd be a little bit offended. You know, you're trying your best. But that's not my, that's not my blooming name. You know, my name's Tony. And uh, so, again, um, they've, they've been told that, so, so take that for what it is. Um, Jesus, who is, who is Jesus Christ? For Jehovah's Witnesses, this, this is the, this is the big issue. This is is what we need to go away thinking about. Because um, to have a false Christ is to have a false gospel, is to have no salvation whatsoever. And for Jehovah's Witnesses, they have a false Christ. And so often they will take you in your discussion about Jesus to Colossians 1.15. They will definitely take you there if you talk to them about um, Jesus and you you believe that he's he's God. So Colossians 1.15, it says uh, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And they've been taught that that means he was the first one to be created. Now you should read it, it doesn't say that, does it?
2: Yeah.
0: I, was, I was telling Martin earlier today, and Roger was there actually at the event, I was speaking at something a few weeks ago and I decided to do a bit of a role play. Um, I've got this guy... <laughs> So there's all these people. So I'm over a hundred people. Then I said, I'm going to do a bit of a role play. Anybody want to come out? I'm, I'm, going, to, uh, I'm going to pretend I'm the Jehovah's Witness. You can pretend you're the, the householder, Anybody? His hand shot straight up. I should have known that's trouble. <laughs> so this guy comes trundling out. So I said, right, I'm going to, I'm going to knock on your door and, and everything. He didn't even let me knock on the door, Roger, did he? He, says, he was like, you're a Jehovah's Witness. And I'm like, I haven't, you haven't even opened the door yet. You know. <laughs> And then he went straight to Colossians 1.15 he was telling me what all the Greek means and all this kind of stuff. (laughs) Where'd I go with this? I I said something like, I think I've got another appointment somewhere else. I need to be going, I'm really sorry. But what the guy said about this was absolutely right. But what he was saying is that the word firstborn here doesn't mean first created. He doesn't say that. He's the firstborn over all creation. He's not the first created one. So first of all, point that out to them. And the Greek word for first form there is a Greek word, prototokos. And as this guy rightly pointed out to me, if Paul wanted to say first created, there's a completely different Greek word, which is protoptistos, but that's another story. But he said that. He, he said it, yeah, he come me. out with it all. I thought, you should be teaching this. I should just go sit down and listen. We
3: know our stuff up north.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> say yeah. But it was in Lancashire, so I was a bit confused. I didn't know how to say yeah. That. Say, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, the point is, so underneath there you can see I put Psalm 18 and 27 as, as, as one place you can find this, but you can find it in several places in the Old Testament. The word firstborn in scripture has two meanings. It can mean literally the first one to be born. So, or, or it can mean the preeminent one, the ruler over. Now if we take that meaning to firstborn here to Colossians 1.15, everything else that Paul says makes sense. So Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the preeminent one over all creation. Why? Because by him all things were made. Can you see what Paul's saying then? He's the preeminent one over creation. Why? Because John 1.3 tells us that uh, everything was created through Christ and without him nothing was created. So it's not meaning at all what the Jehovah's Witnesses have been told it means. And you find with these guys, bless them, that they'll just take one verse of scripture to try and prove a point context is really important with these guys let let them look at the context let them look at those other verses that flow after it as well and so they can get the context of what Paul was meaning there so don't be phased by JWs and and these groups if they seem to trip you up a little bit because we've all been there where they'll say something, I don't know how to answer that but that's okay it doesn't mean they're right it just means we don't know the answer so, just be, be, be aware of that. So, Jesus is the first one to be created according to the Jehovah's Witnesses. Sorry, can I just check? In? Of course, uh, can. The, the word that was challenging in there was of all creation. Yeah. Now, I just looked that up. Now, I know that there are at least two different editions of the NIV. Sure. But it doesn't say in this one the firstborn of all creation, the yeah. firstborn over all creation. Yeah well again the preeminent one over all creation so that's, that's I would say that's even stronger Yeah, it reinforces it. it reinforces it yeah. I think this is an interesting little thing as well you just picked up on there as well the different bible versions mm. you know again some are stronger for some things than others and stuff um, but yeah that's important yeah overall creation and don't be scared of using your bible with them you know I mean they'll, they'll say well it says different in mine you know, maybe you've done that I've done as well a few times where you find a really great scripture to share with them. You say, I can't wait for the next one to, to, to knock on my door or see them in the town centre. And you go and hit them with this scripture. How do you answer that? And they open theirs and it says something completely different. They've changed it. Uh, they do that particular one of the scriptures we looked at this morning about Jesus being our God and Saviour. Well, they'll, they've twisted that around and changed it completely. So it you know, it's our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Or somehow they'll put a comma in there something to make it separate out as if he's talking about Jehovah and Jesus rather than Jesus himself so be, be mindful of that in their, in their uh, mistranslation John 1.1 is an interesting place uh, to go to with them and um, of course uh, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God in theirs in the beginning was the word the word was with God and the word was a God they've got to put the, word, the, the letter A in there because Jesus isn't God, according to them. They agree that the word is Jesus, that's who it's speaking about. But he's only a God. But you can have fun with the Jehovah's Witness with this verse. Um, did you know you could have fun with a Jehovah's Witness? I don't know if you knew that, it could be quite fun. So the question to ask a Jehovah's Witness as you look at this verse, and you say, assuming your translation is correct then, and Jesus is a God, is he a true God or is he a false God? That's a really tough question for Jehovah's Witnesses, because whatever answer they give you, you are going to act so shocked, aren't you? You are, aren't you? So if, if they say, well, actually, it's a true God, you jump out of your skin, you say, what? You believe in two true gods? And then they'll backtrack very quickly, oh, no, no, we don't mean that, we don't mean that. And they say, well, he's a false God, and you jump out of your skin again, you're saying Jesus is a false God? And they'll backtrack on that as well. And what you'll find is they'll settle somewhere in the middle and say, well, he's a kind of a God. He's a sort of a God. And you can say, well, look, can you show me elsewhere in Scripture, anywhere in Scripture where it talks about a kind of a God or or a sort of a God? Either he's a true God or he's a false God. The Bible gives us no other options. And they'll say, oh, well, you know, the Bible tells us that Satan is, is a God. You know, the God of this world blinds the minds of unbelievers. Yeah, but is he a true God or is he a false God? Oh, yeah, he's a false God. Yeah, right, okay. So, and they just get so mixed up with this. But pin them to it. Say, well, you're saying he's a God, so what kind of God is he? And they'll come out with things like, well, Jesus is a mighty God, but Jehovah's almighty God. That's one of their lines. So he's just a mighty God. But And they just say, well, is that mighty God? Is he a true God or is he a false God? And then they're back in that dilemma again. They don't know what to say. I once remember hearing a, a lady speaking to some Jehovah's Witnesses about this. She was an ex-JW and she said the poor JW has got so mixed up on her doorstep, when she asked the question how many gods do you people actually believe in? They said one and a half. <laughs> so, um, but in reality they're polytheistic. They have two gods. They have two gods. That, that's the reality of it. But they, they will deny that. And they'll say no, he's, he's just a kind of a god. He's a, he's a god-like one. They'll use all these terms but don't let them off the hook. Say in Scripture, true, false. Bible's very clear there's only one true God. Can we agree on that? They will agree on that. So therefore, if Jesus is a God, he must be a false God, according to Scripture. And don't let them get away with it. Again, they'll bamboozle you with a Greek and say the uh, definite article's missing and needs to be added and all that, but they don't know what they're talking about. That time, you that? Yeah. In Luke 28 and Mark 12. Yeah. It says that he is, he is a God, not of the living, uh, sorry, of, uh, of the dead, but of the living. If you look at the Greek from mm. both those and compare it to John, it's the same. Right. But it's a capital G they've got here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is really good. And I'm going to come on to this in a minute with a capital G and a small g. Because yeah. that's a big, well, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, you need to send me those. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is really important because in their minds, if it's small g, it's a false god. If it's big G, it's Jehovah. Just remember that for a minute. We'll come back to that. So the Watchtower Jesus. This is, this is just amazing. I mean, you So sort of understand the Watchtower Jesus. So first of all, the Jesus of the Watchtower didn't exist. So he's not eternal. He had a beginning. Jehovah created him as the first of his ways. They so he didn't exist. When Jehovah created him, he didn't create him as Jesus. He created him as the Archangel Michael. So he existed as the Archangel Michael. When the time came for Jesus to be placed in Mary's womb, the Archangel Michael ceased to exist. There's no explanation for that. He, he just he went off the scene. He's nowhere. And the man Jesus, or the baby Jesus, was to become the man Jesus, was placed in the, into Mary's womb. Jesus was only a man... Nothing more until his baptism. And it's baptism, it's there he became the Christ, or the Messiah. Again, Luke 2 tells us, um, in the town of David this day is born Christ the Lord. He, he's Christ from, from birth, not just at his baptism. But this is what they believe. When he died, he didn't die on a cross. He died on an upright pole they call a torture stake. Another just a little red herring they like to come out with. But when he died... He was non-existent for three days and for three nights. So you say, well, what happened to him? What happened to his body? They don't really have an answer. I've got a Watchtower article at home that says he was dissolved into gases. <laughs> uh, where's that in the Bible? That's in somewhere in the Apocrypha at the back. Is there a theological reason why they say stake above cross? It's, it's purely, all this is to do with, in my understanding, it is to do with them downplaying the cross and the deity of Christ. It really is a red herring. You know, you can get into a little discussion with them about the word staros, which is a Greek word, whether it means upright Paul. Even if you meant upright Paul, he had a, a cross beam that came and the foot to it, which made a cross. But it, it's a red herring because ultimately Christ died. Mm. So, I don't think we need to go on about that. I'll, I'll let them off with that. Can I just
3: ask, when did he, yeah. when did he dissolve into gases? Because it wasn't when he died,
0: because his no. body was taken down. Yeah, out. when he was laid in the tomb, Jehovah so dissolved his body into, ga- into gases. So it
3: was when the ro- stone was rolled in front, that's yeah. when it happened.
0: Yeah, apparently so. And he was non-existent nowhere, didn't exist anywhere, for three days and three nights.
1: Where did they get the three days three nights?
0: Pardon? Where did they get the three days three nights from?
1: Where did they get
0: it from? Yeah. Well... What point are you making, Andrew? Are you saying it wasn't three days, three nights. If we
1: believe Friday, we've yeah. only been in the grave Friday night, Saturday night, and... Well, well Jesus said well,
3: he'd
0: be in the grave. It's right? yeah. Three yeah. days sorry, and three yeah. nights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's quote from yeah. Jonah. But again, you know, I mean, we can I argue with him meant parts of days and all that kind of stuff. Again, it doesn't really matter. But yeah, no, well, they'll I just say, yeah, but no, it's
3: a fair comment. But you should have asked to dig that on me. But Jesus said, as Jonah was in the belly of the way for three days and three nights, I will be in
0: it.
3: But he wasn't then. Well, well, it depends. Can't um, yeah. well, we can't it's get
0: into this now. We can't <laughs> get into this. I'm not talking about the length this is of a time. I'm just saying he
3: wasn't exist, So he wasn't in the grave. Because he wasn't existing, so He was dissolved. So, so, so he was oh, yeah. wrong there as well. All oh, right, yes, so right. Right. yes what you mean. What saying. Yeah, yeah, saying. yeah good point,
0: Roger. So he didn't exist anywhere, didn't this this Jesus? And then when he was raised, he was raised spiritually, not physically as the Archangel Michael again. So it's the Archangel Michael that exists now, not the man Jesus. He came back then. He came back, but spiritually, not physically, and he's the Archangel Michael now again. So as I put on the bottom there, which is usually a good reveal on a PowerPoint, Hebrews (laughs) 13.8, Jesus the same yesterday, today and forever, and for these guys, man, who is this Jesus? There is this Jesus, non-existent, then an angel, then a man, then dissolved into gases, then he's an angel again. Is this who died for you? This Jesus? So
1: what do they do with the resurrection appearances? And Thomas, my Lord and my God?
0: Um, Again, they they believe it was was not Jesus really. It was someone sent to fool people.
1: So So. so Thomas was in, in error, falling down and worshipping.
0: Oh yeah, we're going to talk about that in a minute, yeah. They'll say, well, again, I think there's a bit of difference, a of, of shifting of, of thoughts with a Jehovah's Witness with this. I think most JWs won't deny it's Jesus, but in their thinking, it wasn't a physical Jesus before them. It was a spiritual Jesus at best, but these were all disguises to, to shroud who he was.
3: Because I use, when I'm, sorry, mm. sorry, I yeah, use yeah. when I'm talking to them, when I go up to them at the stand, mm. I go take them to John 2, destroy this temple in three yeah. days, I'll raise it. And he spoke of the temple of his body. That's right. So he said his body would rise, yeah. but they deny the bodily resurrection. Yeah.
0: And of course, him eating fish. Yeah. Uh, of course. Uh, yeah. What they, can I, sorry, yeah, okay, no, what they yeah. then
3: say yeah. to me is Ah, oh, well, Jesus, um, uh, 1 Corinthians says, flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom mm. of God. Mm. But I point out how Jesus said, "Touch me and see." A ghost does not have flesh, flesh and
0: bones; bones. It doesn't yeah, say right. that, because his blood
3: yeah. was poured out in the ground. That's right.
0: Yeah. That John 2:19. I wasn't going to go there as well, Sorry. but I'll tell you. No, no, you're right. You brought it up. Actually, it's a good Trinitarian verse to use with it as well. John 2:19, because the question is, who ra- you know who raised Jesus from the dead? Mm. Galatians 1:1 says God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. Mm. John 2.19, you've got Jesus saying he's going to raise himself from the dead. Uh, And then you've got Romans 8.11, which says the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. So if you show them, they're all good to show them in their Bible, those three verses. How many times did Jesus rise from the dead? Once or three times? All three were involved in the resurrection of Christ. So the three are one. So you can show them those things, but yeah, but again, I'm going to get into why they believe a lot of these things um, in the the second part of this. So what they they have is, they don't have a trinity, they they hate trinity, they love to discuss trinity with you, they're ready for that stuff. Um, I used to love trying to sort of discuss trinity with Christians when I was with the JWs, because most people couldn't understand it, they will say, well, you know, it's just, it's a mystery. Well, that doesn't help a Jehovah's Witness saying it's a mystery. Um, But for them, they have God the Father who's Jehovah, Uh, They have the Son, Jesus, who's created, and the Holy Spirit, who's an impersonal force. So that's their unbiblical trinity, as it were. So in terms of salvation for Jehovah's Witnesses, I mentioned they have uh, a limited number going to heaven, 144,000, and what they do is, like a a lot of cult theories who would see themselves as Christians, they would use scripture to try and defend their position and it doesn't even make sense. So for example, they look at Jesus words in Luke 12:32 where he's te- speaking to his disciples and he calls them a little flock. And they link that to Revelation 7 where it talks about 144,000 and they say that's the same thing. The little flock and the 144,000 the same thing. There's no reason to link those scriptures together, those thoughts together whatsoever, but that's what they believe. And then when Jesus is speaking in John 10:16, and he talks about other sheep that he has, and we know that to be the Gentile believers coming in, they link that to the great crowd, those without a heavenly hope. So they have a little flock of 144,000 going to heaven and a great crowd of other sheep that are going to live forever on a paradise earth. And nearly every JW you will meet will say they have an earthly hope they don't believe they're going to heaven. How do they know if they are going to heaven? Well, they have some fuzzy feeling, and they decide, when they have the memorial meal once a year, where it's the only time they pass the bread and the wine round, you can only partake of it if you believe you're one of the 144,000. So often it goes round and goes back to the table again, nobody takes it. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, i denied Have the
3: 144,000 accounted for now? Wasn't oh, more than. More
0: than. Oh, more than. Um, more than. Yeah, I mean they have to move the goalposts, of course, because so what what, what they believe about the 144,000 is everybody who partakes would have um, would have been seen as one of the 144,000, and they record around the world how many people partake, and in their yearbooks from quite early on they recorded about eight to twelve thousand every year, so it like, just keeps going on. You think, well, that's that's full then, isn't it? But then they, early on again, they thought this through a little bit and they decided that the door to heaven shut in 1935. Don't know where they got that from. That date. So you had to be a certain age as well to be, you know, if you're a young person drinking this, you get a clipped round ear on, so you shouldn't be drinking that. But, but, but now, again, because that generation that they thought the end would come within that generation, they've changed it now completely. So now it's open for anybody to partake again. So I was one of these memorial meals. I, I don't know if it was last year or year before... I saw someone partake. I asked the elder, I said, are you going to have a chat with, with her? She's taken it. He said, well, I don't know if she is. She's not from our congregation. I said, well, don't you have to check her out? You know, and I said, well, no, not really. He says, "Um, you know, just if she thinks she's one of the 144,000, that's okay. So I challenged him and said, well, look, I think, I think you'd be full by now, surely. Look at your, your yearbooks and all the numbers. He said, yeah, I know. I said, but um, we've had a lot of uh, people who had a heavenly hope, a heavenly calling, who have, have sort of gone apostate so there are vacancies in heaven <laughs> and so we never know quite how many are still there so to fill you just it up, roll
1: up to one of
0: these before, yeah it's a public event, you can, anybody can go yeah you should, get, you should get an invite through your door unless you're blacklisting and they don't come to your house yeah. but you get an invite through your door anybody can go, they want you to go and um, you, can, you can go and be naughty, I do know people that go and partake <laughs> I have not done it, I don't don't want to cause hassle, but I I do know people that have, you can watch and see it on YouTube, one guy went, I think this was last year, he went, Christian guy, sat there when he came to him, he's drinking it, he's eating it, and he stood up and he's like, I'm taking it because I'm going to heaven, because I believe in Jesus. Well they ushered him out of the building, as you might imagine. But um, I think more and more people, ex-witnesses who are Christians, or people just object to them, are going to these memorial wheels just to court. Cause a bit of havoc, really. But um, Is that
1: beneficial or not? say again, sir. Is that beneficial,
0: or would you? I have don't think so. Do yeah. I mean, I, I think I think there's some validity in. I think some validity in maybe being outside, at the Kingdom Hall on that night, and and maybe offering literature, see if you can talk to people. Uh, even a banner. I think you know. Again, yeah. I think challenge them. I don't know if going in and drinking and. No. Causing havoc inside is really helpful, but I'm not saying don't do it if so people want to do it. What
2: was your purpose for
0: being there? I've got an invite, <laughs> but it's harder for me to go to them because most of them know me now. So um, I try Let's and go, go, go so, so, disguise. Uh, yeah, 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 <laughs> I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> go as so sort of like a, a civic Jew or something. Yeah, yeah that 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 that. That. Um Yeah, just to just to be there, observing and chat to people. Yeah, you get to chat to people while you're there. The last one I went to which I think was last year, there were some witnesses there, I didn't realise they were going to be there but I'd been witnessing to them in, in Bradford City Centre and they were oh, there yes. and I could see them pointing me out as soon as I arrived really, so afterwards the elder came and had a chat with me straight away, asked me what my purpose was in being there and I said I've got an invite and just come and you know it'd be good to chat to a few people so I spent some time talking to him really, yeah. Um, it's good to challenge though on the Yeah, definitely. From the well, yeah, we've gone about Revelation 19 one is great. Yeah, I think um, we're going to look at that. Don't go too soon, yeah, but it is. Yeah, it's one of my one of my uh, things. Yeah, let's move on. False prophets. are yeah, definitely false prophets. They will say we are not prophets. Or we're not. We're, we're a prophet in a sense. We'll say things like that. A little bit like the true God and false God. Well, he's a God. In the, he's a kind of God. They're kind of prophets. Well, what do you mean? Well, will say, well, we just declare what the Bible teaches and things to come. But their record shows clearly that they've not taught things to come. They've actually taught falsehood. So on the slide there, why are you looking forward to 1975? I've got a lot of their literature um, from 1968 up to 1975 showing very clearly the excitement that was building about 1975. And people within the organisation so believed that Jesus was going to return and Armageddon was going to come in, in 1975 that they sold their houses, their, their, their businesses, they, they, there was a massive increase in door-to-door work, or, um, all that kind of stuff, and, um, and it didn't happen, obviously. And so a good many, well, even, it was about 250,000 in America, worldwide maybe nearer to a myri- million people left the organisation Through False Prophecy and if you talk to them about 1975 they'll say oh well we never we, we didn't say it was definite you know people misunderstood well you don't sell your house and your business you're thinking <laughs> on, a, on a you know your, your whim thinking well you know I think that's what they're saying so and they've done this time and time again they're, they're much more careful about this stuff now um, because they've been caught out many many times but I've got their, their literature so I can send that to you if you want to Again, they're they're told not to take apostate literature. That's any literature other than their literature, basically. If you try and say, look at this booklet, or look at this book, or whatever, they they don't want to take it. If they do take it from you, it'll probably be in a bush around the corner from your house. Um, Go and check it out and get it back when they've left. But um, if you give them their own literature, it's a lot more powerful. And because they've been so bound by their literature over their history... There's a paper trail for these things. So they can say, they started saying now, well, we made a mistake. You know, don't, don't you ever mis- make a mistake? I can't believe, Roger, somebody, a job's written said to me, Tony, do you ever make a mistake? <laughs> I said, I'm from Yorkshire, of course I don't make mistakes. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I said, of course I make a mistake, but there's a difference, and here's the difference. And again, I find an analogies is good with them in this, in this setting. It's to say something like this, Imagine I said to you, in five minutes' time, it's going to rain ice cubes outside. And five minutes comes along, and it doesn't happen. Does that make me a false prophet? No, it doesn't. It makes me a poor weatherman. Mm. But if I said to you, in five minutes' time, it's going to rain ice cubes outside, thus says Jehovah, and it doesn't happen. Mm. I'm no longer a poor weatherman. I'm a false prophet. Mm. Because I said, Jehovah said that. And that's what they've done time and time again. And the, then the good thing is, in Deuteronomy 18.22 there's really good to show them in their Bible. Because they stick the name Jehovah everywhere. So in, in Deuteronomy 18.22, in their Bible it says, when the prophet speaks in the name of Jehovah, who is, who's the only group speaking in the name of Jehovah today? That's them. So this is speaking directly to them. When a prophet speaks in the name of Jehovah, that's you. And the word is not fulfilled and does not come true. Then Jehovah did not speak that word. The prophet spoke it presumptuously. You should not fear him. And again, you know, the, the, the false prophets in the Old Testament, didn't get a chance to say, oh, well, I just made a mistake. I'm not going to do it again. You know, they, they were nailed for their false prophecy. And so the same with these guys. Don't let them get away with it. made um, many false prophecies I've said, you've got something there from 1918. This is the second president of the Watchtower Society, Judge Rutherford. He said this in 1918, he just got in charge, and he said, therefore we may confidently expect that 1925 will mark the return of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the prophets of old, particularly those named by the apostle in Hebrews 11, to the condition of human perfection. That was in his publication, Millions Now Living Will Never Die, and that was a big crusade down running through the early um, 1920s. Well, did that happen? Don't think so. Never happened. So, was he just getting something wrong there? Or was he a false prophet? This group says we are the only true Christians on the face of the earth. Hmm. We're the only ones speaking in the name of Jehovah and for him today. So everything they say, does it come from Jehovah or does it not? If it comes from Jehovah, we take this seriously. If it doesn't, we don't even need to listen to you. How do you know what's from Jehovah and what isn't from Jehovah? You could tell me something on my doorstep today that you say is true, and tomorrow it might be changed. And once the governing body, the leaders, we'll talk about them in a moment, once they say we've received new light, we've got new revelation, and now we, we're changing this, the whole lot of Jehovah's Witnesses follow suit. So it's never secure in in, in the Jehovah's Witnesses. And you see that picture there of Judge Rutherford, Rutherford with the house that was built for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the Cadillac that was bought so that can get themselves round in, and they didn't turn up. So, guess who got the Cadillac in the house? <laughs> <coughs> that's right. Benny Hinn. I mean, um, uh, Judge Rutherford, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's been sold in the house. Pardon? It's been sold. It's been sold, yeah. Yeah, it's been sold. They, they sort of uh, don't want anything to do with it anymore, and they deny that's that it ever that happened. happened. But it's in their history again, it's in their documentation, so we can show them clearly. So that's a quick, um, quick quickish overview of the JWs. I just want us to think for a little while just about why do we have a difficult time sharing the gospel with Jehovah's Witnesses. I like to use this picture of the guy pulling his hair out and say that that was me when I began this work. And uh, look what happens if you get involved with these cults um so so what what is what is the issue so you've got a jehovah's witness at your door um you're sharing things with them john 1 1 who translated your bible what about the false prophecies and suddenly it's like a wall comes up between you and they're not really listening and the problem that they have is that they are captive to a concept that's why they're not listening for a start they've been told that they alone can translate the bible and understand the Bible. And interpret the Bible correctly. So even though you're showing some idea of Bible knowledge and stuff. You, you don't really know what you're talking about. Because you're in false religion. So you know they'll admit. Oh well I agree with you on that and that. But ultimately you're not the authority. So they they turn off. And they're not really listening to you. If you see that picture there. Does anybody know who that first picture is? A guy at the yeah, microphone. Jones. Pardon? It's
3: James Jones?
0: Yeah it's Jim Jones. Yeah back in the 1970s. Uh, long before your time Anna sorry I know you won't know it is <laughs> but uh, Jim, Jim Jones uh, Jonetown, uh, Jonestown back in mm-hmm. the 1970s where well, I think it was 908 people drank uh, drunk the Kool-Aid I think it was about 917 in total died other so from shun- gunshot wounds or something else but yet those people who took that um, cyanide drunk the Kool-Aid they were captive to a concept they believed that Jim Jones spoke for God mm-hmm. so they followed him and they did what he said because he was speaking for God they were captive to that concept anybody know the second guy David Koresh the Branch Davidians uh, Waco back in the 1990s again um, hold themselves up in that compound in Waco in Texas and a disaster happened and the police and people uh, authorities trying to break in there was a fire lots of people lose their life there are still people today who still would see themselves as Branch Davidians and still believe that David Koresh is still the prophet of God They followed him into that compound um, because they believed he spoke for God. They were captive to that concept. And then you have the governing body of Jehovah's Witnesses, those seven guys. Jehovah's Witnesses believe and are captive to this concept that these guys alone speak for God. So whatever they say is true. You will find you can get away with saying lots of things to the Jehovah's Witnesses and, and they'll, they'll say, stay. But if you start questioning the governing body and talking about the organisation, that's when they see, you seem to lose them. just that's how important it is. They're, they're so captive to this concept that these seven guys speak for God. And so that's what's driving them all the time. So even though you are sharing the Bible with them, um, you're showing that you know some of the Bible, that you love them, that you care for them, they're captive to this idea that these guys are the ones that only speak for God though. So if you disagree with these seven guys, you are disagreeing with God. So leave the Jehovah's Witnesses is to leave God because they're so captive to that concept.
1: So should you go to
0: that governing body?
1: Do you, should,
0: you? should I? Do you, you want to have pay that, for that? me to go over? Should you, should you, should
1: you raise <laughs> that with them? And, yeah, I think there's a, place,
0: there's a place to raise that with them. Definitely, I wouldn't say avoid it, but I think just be careful because I think that turns them off. And, and I'm going to again sort of tell you even more why about that in a moment. But yeah, the governing body are, are, are the real issue. And again, you know, you can point to, if you're showing them false prophecies and uh, some other stuff from their literature, that has to go through this governing body. All the literature either had to go through a governing body which they have now or a precedence which they, they had before that. So, who are alone? So, Charles Taze Russell, who founded the Witnesses, um, it, he was believed to be the faithful and discreet slave, as we read here, in Matthew 24 45 to 47. And then subsequent presidents were all seen to be the faithful and discreet slave. Now it's the governing body.
1: When did they move from the president to the governing body? Do they still have a the president?
0: They, they have a president, but he's no more than a figurehead now. <coughs> yeah, they still have someone, but he has no power. It shifted to the governing body, I think, after um, a guy called Milton Henschel, so early 90s, I think. Yeah. So what does this say? It says, who really is the faithful and discreet slave whom his master appointed over his domestics to give them their food at the proper time? Happy is that slave if his master on arriving finds him doing so. Truly I say to you, he will appoint him over all his belongings. So in a Jehovah's Witness mindset, the faithful and discreet slave is this governing body who Jesus has appointed over the slave class, which they call the rest of them, these domestics, to give them their food at the proper time. And what is the food? It's their literature. It's the dispensing of their teaching and their knowledge. Happy is that slave, so that's the ordinary Jehovah's Witnesses again, if his master on arriving, finds him doing so, finds him following the governing body, the faithful and discreet slave. So they're captive to that concept. So you see there there's a picture of the governing body. Again interesting, it shows them all there, doesn't it? He's got his laptop out, got the Bibles out, very spiritual guys. There was a guy in the 1970s, early 80s, called Raymond Franz. And his uncle, Fred Franz, was the then president of the Watchtower Society. And Raymond Franz, Uh, worked his way up and ended up getting onto the governing body and this picture you see here is how Raymond Franz imagined it was that this this spiritual guy, so it was was Fred Franz and then he would have a a team of people around him but he was the Pope as it were back then and then he imagined they'd all be there deep in prayer, deep in the Bible he found nothing of the sort he found they were making decisions willy-nilly about things they were saying one thing for this and that and everything totally disillusioned him and he ended up leaving the organisation and um, he brought out a book which is called Crisis of Conscience, which I think is really hard to get hold of now. I think you can get it on eBay. Like, people are charging like 300 quid for it or something. I think it's gone out of print but I've got a copy of it. And you can find excerpts from it online. Just outline what he saw and, and how it wasn't what he thought it was and what it should be. And so he left. It's believed, I think you find him on YouTube as well being interviewed, Ray Franz and I think towards the end of his life, he did become a believer. Um, but he, he blew the lid on it all. So, the governing body, body, or, or even the governing body, yeah. thanks, Tony. Yeah, uh, the governing body um, is not all that it seems to be. What
2: was the title again of that
0: book? Crisis of Conscience. If you do find anywhere that's selling it cheap, let me know. I've got a couple of people that are after it got in touch with me and said, do you know where to get them? And you sometimes
3: see them in church libraries. Yeah, it's church libraries. It's
0: white, isn't it? You know, a well, little uh, white. It might have done different covers, but the one I, I've got is uh, like a grey cover, red writing on it. Okay. Yeah. But you could maybe pick one up in a charity shop or somewhere. Yeah. Um, so here's, here's an interesting thing. This is from jw.org, uh, uh, their website. is an amazing website. November 2012, It said the faithful and discreet slave was appointed over Jesus' domestics in 1919. Where do they get that date from? I I don't know. Ask them. Yeah. Where do you get that? 1919. Okay. I can tell you where they get it from, but they haven't got a reasoning for it, really. That slave is the small, composite group of anointed brothers serving at the world headquarters during Christ's presence who are directly involved in preparing and dispensing spiritual food. When this group worked together as the governing body, they act as the faithful and discreet slave. So in 1919, they didn't have a group. Then it was Rutherford. And then there was another three presidents after him who were all seen as the one faithful and discreet slave. But now it's this group of guys. So they were appointed over Jesus Domestics in 1919. Isn't that interesting? Where, where do they get that from? I'll tell you in a moment. So, Jehovah's Witnesses are captive of a concept, and that is that the Watchtower Organisation is God's only channel of communication to the world. And so, they worship this organisation. Uh, they've, they've really gone big time. On, on all the Kingdom Halls now, it'll say jw.org. Mm-hmm. On their trolleys, it'll say visit jw.org. They want to point you to their website. Um, it's really good for people like me, the website, because at one time, a number of years ago, you had to get their literature to know what they were teaching. So even though they wouldn't visit me and give me it, I would have lots of people out and about who would collect it on my behalf and then give it to me. But now everything's on their website. So the next three months' worth of watchtowers will be on their website. So it's it's all there, on there. So they point people to the website, to the website all the time. You see there as well the JW.org bag and the little... little, uh, Yeah badge. And those shoes, I don't know whether they're real or not, I found that picture, but how beautiful are the feet of those who declare good news and good things. But it wouldn't surprise me if if they do have those, I mean they're just crazy. It's all about JW.org. So everything is explained and understood from the standpoint that the society is God's organisation, it is the governing body, the faithful and discreet slave who have the truth, so that all that comes from Christendom, that's us, is thereby false. By default, we're false. We cannot be right. So Watchtower, 1973, August the 1st, cultivating friendship with God. Yes, you should deeply appreciate, be appreciative of all the fine spiritual food that the faithful and discreet slave class has been providing through the Watchtower now for 94 years. So what it's saying there is, This faithful and discreet slave, whether it was the individual or whether it's the collective, they've been giving you fine spiritual food since 1879. But when you look back through their literature and you see all the false prophecy and the changes, how is that fine spiritual food? It clearly isn't. But you should be appreciative of of these brothers. We need to obey the faithful and discreet slave to have Jehovah's approval. So what does that say? You know, if you do not comply to what you're told then you will not have Jehovah's approval. So you toe the line. Since Jehovah God and Jesus Christ completely trust the faithful and discreet slave, should we not do the same? Again, so that's pretty strong stuff, isn't it? So you you have to do everything they say, believe everything that they're saying, otherwise you're out. You will not be Jehovah's witness, you'll be potentially disfellowshipped from them. Let us think very quickly about 1919. Am I doing okay time-wise? Mm-hmm. Am I alright? Yeah, sorry. You can I have a little shake if you want? Wake yourself up. Uh, 1919. So, they say that the, the, the faithful and discreet slave was appointed over Jesus Domestics in the year 1919. This is from a book, Babylon the Great's Fallen, one of their publications, 1963. It says that historical facts... And the question is, what historical facts? They just come out with these things. The historical facts show that 1919 was the year when the remnant on earth of the 144,000 kingdom heirs began to be freed from great Babylon. In that year, the message of God's established kingdom began to be preached from house to house and publicly by Jehovah's Christian witnesses in a fearless way. The preaching of the kingdom was established in 1914 was the fulfilment of Jesus' prophecy in Matthew 24, 14. The good news of the kingdom will be preached in all the inhabited earth for a witness to all of the nations. So, let me just sort of quickly explain what, what they're saying here is. They believe that Jesus returned invisibly in 1914. He was to return visibly in 1874, originally, and it didn't happen. They moved it to 1878, It didn't happen. They came up with a new date of 1914, and it didn't happen, but they decided to stick with that, and they said, he has returned to take his place as as the king of heaven, but not visibly, but invisibly. And only those with eyes of spiritual understanding will know that. Well, I clearly haven't got eyes of spiritual understanding, because I don't know that. But that's what they believe. He returned in 1914. Now, an evidence that that is true is the First World War, obviously satan was miffed that jesus was returning to take his place in heaven so it, it wreaked havoc on the earth and we had the first world war now during the first world war uh, jehovah's witnesses along with the, some of the groups were persecuted judge rutherford who was to become the second president of the watchtower along with two or three other guys were all arrested and put in prison but they were released in 1918 and set free that's when they were freed from great Babylon. This is what they're referring to here. Babylon had enslaved them, but now they're free. And because they're free, now they can do the work that Jesus has set before them. Now what they say is that Jesus looked at all of Christendom in late 1918, early 1919, and he looked to see who's teaching the truth. And the only group that he found to be teaching the truth in, in late 1918, early 1919, was the International Bible Students, which this is what Jehovah's Witnesses were called back then until 1931, until they changed the name. So Jesus chose them to be the ones that would represent them on the earth, because they were the only ones on the face of the earth who were teaching the truth. So that's what they believe. Let us think about that a little bit more. So we have Jehovah, who is father, we have Jesus, who's son, and we have Watchtower, who's their mother. So, when I'm saying that you, you know, if you're having a go at the governing body of Jehovah's Witnesses, it's like you're attacking their mum. It's like you're having a go at their mum. And you wouldn't like it if somebody had a go at your mum. So, they don't like it if you have a go at the Watchtower. You don't believe me that they think the uh, organization is mum? Well, there's the quote Show sure respect for Jehovah's organization. From Watchtower, May the 1st, 1957. In this way, Paul identifies Jehovah's wife as his, in, as his invisible universal organisation, the mother of Christ and of his joint hairs. So again, the organisation is Jehovah's wife. It's like mum. You're having a go at mum when you have a go at the organisation. Would
3: they be embarrassed now if you showed them that quotation?
0: I think um, they deny it, but then you show them it. Yeah, I mean, I think this. we're going to talk about this as, as I close today because I think you don't want to just reveal things too quickly with these JWs. You don't want to say, didn't you want to teach that, you know, the organization was mother, you know, and Jehovah's father and Jesus' son. Didn't you just, because they'll just deny it. So, you know, I think what you need to do is you need to sort of... Um, Oh no, you do, you do start with that question. Sorry, you ask them that question, they'll deny it and then you show them the quote.
3: And they, they then would stand by everything that's been well, it's, published it's there. by them.
0: Yeah, they've got to do. They will say they might say, oh well, we, we used to teach that, but we don't anymore. Or something like that. But you can say, well, you did teach that.
2: Mm. It's the same as the Catholic Church. Yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And these things, again, you know, if if they can just keep changing things all the time, nothing is solid.
3: So, is, sorry, is Jehovah a physical being then that he needs a wife?
0: No, no, they, they believe he's spirit. It's the okay. Mormons that believe he's a physical being.
3: Yeah, then. but he has a wife.
0: Though. Yeah, well, again, metaphorically, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. but the organisation is like mother to them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I don't think they mean it literally. No. Okay. Um, let's let's just move on quickly. I'm sure you have some questions in a moment. Um, what was the Watchtower teaching in 1919? So, so they say, and it's in their literature, it's in their, their publicity, that Jesus saw the international Bible students as the only ones teaching the truth in 1919. So what are some of the things that they were teaching in 1919? Interesting to look at. The Jehovah's Witnesses will not have a clue. But you can say to them, well, what, when Jesus chose you in 1919 as the only ones teaching the truth, what were you teaching back then? And get them to research it. Have a look back. So one of the things they were doing back in 1919 is they were celebrating Christmas. There's one of my favourite pictures there where you've got four Watchtower presidents uh, in, in that bunch there. The current one and three to come, all celebrating Christmas. Charles Russell used to sort of have all kinds of little scams like miracle wheat and everything. And he would suggest to his followers give them out as Christmas presents and stuff. So at one time they didn't have a problem with Christmas now, when Jesus came and he chose them as the only group in 1919 teaching the truth, why didn't he say to them, you're teaching the truth, but you've got to get rid of Christmas? Come on, don't, don't celebrate that. That's a pagan festival. Don't be celebrating that. He, he apparently didn't do that. They were also celebrating birthdays back then as well. <laughs> Again, why didn't Jesus tell them off and say, look, but don't teach birthdays? So um,
1: when did they
0: stop those? Yeah, they don't have uh, Christmas so or anymore. When did they stop those? Uh, in the 1930s, I think, early 30s. Again, Rutherford is the guy that really made them the Jehovah's Witnesses that they are today. Oh, Very different from the Russell, Russellite um, International Bible Students, yeah. Mm. Uh, worship of Jesus. Back then they were worshipping Jesus. Today you're told you can't worship Jesus because Jesus is uh, obviously not God in their minds. So again, wouldn't Jesus come along to them and say, well, as well as not celebrating Christmas and birthdays, um, you, know, you teach a lot of good stuff, but, but don't be worshipping me. I'm not God but they continued to worship him for a good number of years, an extra 20 years or so beyond 1919 they had no problem in 1919 with Jesus dying on a cross and they uh, believed uh, back then as well and and Rutherford was teaching at this time when they were chosen that Abraham, Isaac and Jacob would return in 1925 why didn't Jesus say he got that wrong? strangely Mm. and what else, an interesting thing as well up until I think again Um, 1927, 28, somewhere around there I think it was, they were still teaching that Jesus returned invisibly in 1874. So don't you think Jesus would have said to them, look guys, and by the way, I'm choosing you because you're the most faithful ones and teaching the truth, but actually I didn't return in 1874, it was 1914. (laughs) See, there's all these things they were teaching back then and believed, But they claim Jesus chose them to represent him because they were the only ones teaching the truth. Now the JWs you meet will have no idea about any of this stuff. So again, you can say, look, can you just do me a favor? Can you just check it out for me? So I was listening to this weird guy from Yorkshire and he said to me, you know, you were chosen in 1919 but what were you teaching in 1919? Can you go and look at your literature and find out for me what you were teaching back then? And they will come across a lot of these. Or if they don't, you can point them out to them. (coughs) So God's organization exists only in the minds of Jehovah's Witnesses. They reckon that the governing body, there was a governing body in the Bible, they say, Acts 15. The council in Jerusalem was a governing body. And they had to go there to to find out what they should be teaching and stuff like Paul did. Um, So this, they say, is just the modern day version of that. Um, here's a quote from a a psychologist called France uh, Fanon which very much fits in with their mindset it says sometimes people hold a core belief that is very strong when they are presented with evidence that works against that belief the new evidence cannot be accepted it would create a feeling that is extremely uncomfortable called cognitive dissonance and because it is so important to protect the core belief they will rationalise, ignore Or even deny anything that doesn't fit in with that core belief. Now isn't that Jehovah's Witnesses if you Mm. spent time with them? You know their core belief is that the governing body are the only ones that speak for God. So you present them evidence. You challenge them with the Bible. You show them all these things. You share testimony with them. And it doesn't seem to work. Because it causes them. The the thought of them being wrong and the governing body lying to them is so great that they can't take that on board. Mm. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit to come and work in their lives, to open their eyes, to open their hearts, to see something, to challenge them. But he does that through us sharing with them. And again, I know a number of ex-witnesses now, people have come out of cults, and um, especially sort of, uh, what we call Christian cults, aberrant Christian groups, who, again, just simply sharing something with them, something in scripture that challenged them, that began a process for them. It might have taken a while for them to wake up but ultimately, they've had to come out because they've been challenged. So the key to their freedom... Good to see you. Uh, the key to their freedom is they need to come to the realisation that the Watchtower Society is not God's organisation. So we're saying on one hand, do not have a go at Mother? But on the other hand, we've got to have a go at Mother. We, we've got to sort of help them to see that what they've been taught is not from God so just uh, finally some quick tips and then any questions you have so when the JWs uh, knock on your door um, tell them it's lovely to see them Um, try your best to say it's lovely to see them (coughs) smile at them they're not prepared for a smile, a welcome you imagine most doors they knock on if any of you guys do door knocking yourselves um, you meet a lot of apathy and um, the odd sort of uh, abuse but mainly apathy and these guys have already been told that you Christians are all of the devil. So we shouldn't be nice to them. You know, we, we, we should be feeding their persecution complex by telling them they're in a cult and how awful they are. So if you, if you say, love, let's see you. You know, I'm always, I'm always happy to talk to someone about the Bible. Um, start off on a good foot with them. That's what I'm saying. Uh, Phyllis has already mentioned about sharing testimony. Really, really important. Because you have, you and I have, what they're looking for. And they don't know how to get it. They have nothing to offer us. We've got, hopefully we've got, peace, assurance, forgiveness of sin. Knowing that we can't please God in, our, in ourselves. We've got to throw ourselves on the mercy of Christ and His, his death. It's through Him we're forgiven. Share all that stuff with them. Really emphasize peace and assurance. Many of them are not at peace. They're striving to please this God. Never knowing whether they've done enough or not. I remember that was my feeling. You know, while you're busy in the work, while you're knocking doors, you feel, you never show up, but you feel you're in an, an alright place. But the moment you're not doing that, the moment you decide, I'm not going to go out today, I'm going to stay in and watch football or something, then immediate guilt comes upon you. So pressure. And especially like, you know, parents, mums, young mums bringing up a family and then they're a trips around the doors and go to all the meetings. Peace assurance i know that jesus loves me i know he died for me i know i'm going to spend eternity with him and and really lay that on thick with them Uh, meeting with them again you might feel i just want to share with them on the doorstep and that's enough for me i don't feel like i get into some sort of discussion with them but um you can meet with them you don't have to share much on the doorstep you say well i'd love to talk to you Do, do you want to meet somewhere I, well they don't really come to my house anyway so I, I tend to meet them um, somewhere neutral um, my favourite place Costa Coffee of course and do, they, do they sort of willingly meet up Yeah, there, yeah happen? they're happy to meet there yeah I found they're very happy to meet there their yeah definitely yeah it doesn't matter whether they meet in the house So they love to get in your house they maybe uh, after a few meetings they'll say it'd be nice to meet your family and stuff I don't want them to come to meet my family um, wife won't let them in anyway um, so yeah. you know, meet them in Costa Coffee or wherever's good for you to buy them a drink you know um, all this kind of stuff it's befriending them it's building up friendships because one of the things you will find is if you start saying hard things right from the get-go you'll lose them but if you meet them two three times and then some of those harder things that you've kept back you'll get away with because you've built a friendship with them and uh, so I found myself saying some incredibly hard things to some of them I mean, Again, it's it's a difficult thing, and I always feel bad about this. They they have their their book is, what does the Bible really teach? That's their little manual at the moment. And they often say, well, do you want to go through, do you want to have a Bible study with us? And that's what they mean, this little book when they say that. And you can go through that book with them if you will be willing to put in that time. And the first few chapters, you'll find yourself agreeing with pretty much everything that's said. The first chapters all about just um, the fact that there is a God, there is a creator, we'd agree with all that. So you're agreeing with them, you're affirming them, you're saying you believe what the Bible teaches and everything. Um, you've maybe got to the name Jehovah, I think, comes then. Again, you can let that go a little bit and say, well, you know, that's, you know, I'm not so sure about that. But anyway, that's fine. You, know, you can use Jehovah, that's okay. It's when you then start getting onto the, the, the place of Jesus and the person of Jesus. But by then, you've already met them three or four times. And then they're, they're listening to what you're saying then. They're letting you have a say. And you can hit them with that. So getting, it depends how far you want to go with them. If you're just on the doorstep, testimony, really they, powerful. If
1: you're meeting up with them, like yeah.
0: that
1: How much do you let on that you know I think, well, well, that's that's really, one of the
0: that's one of the dilemmas because I, I would never lie to them, but I won't reveal my okay. cards too quickly either. So just trying to keep that friendship there. Yeah, but then I find I found I, I'm thinking of a couple that I met called Daniel and Isabella. Please pray for these, especially Daniel. I was so convinced he was getting there through our meetings. He was sharing all sorts of... He seemed to be really listening and I've got people praying for him and everything. And then like what often happens is you get so far and then it's suddenly we're not meeting anymore. And um, towards the end of our meeting though, I was very open with him about my past and everything and he accepted it there. If I'd have started with that, he would have said, you're apostate, I can't meet with you. So, but... Again, it backfires on you sometimes. I was in someone's house, a couple from our church last year. He invited me around. A couple of JWs come around. We met three or four times. Um, and then this guy, Marcus, this JW, comes in, sits down. He says, before we say anything tonight, Tony, I just need to have a word with you. Um, I've Googled you. And I've uh, <laughs> and I found, you know, everywhere it's saying you're an ex-JW and you talk to Jehovah's Witnesses. And you never told us that. You lied to us. And I, I said, look, I never lied to you. I just didn't tell you that. Because if I'd have told you that right at the beginning, you wouldn't have come back. Is that, is that so, Marcus? And he said, yeah, but you should have, you should have revealed to us who you are. I so said, if you'd have asked me any questions, have you ever studied with us, anything, I'd have, I'd have answered you, honestly. So it's really difficult, that, because you feel like you're lying a little bit to them. But you just desperately want to win them, don't you? you didn't. So, you know, so that's, that's difficult. Mm-hmm. Listening and sharing, it's, it's important to listen to them. Even though you know things, maybe, about them and stuff, listen they love to answer questions because that's what they're, they're, they're created to do, really. Um, they're the teachers. You're the students. So they love questions. Um, and just share with them. and Share things about your life, your family. Be, be real to them. Just be yourself to them. Talk to them about Jesus. Your love of the Bible. Really important. I really love the Bible, the Word of God. It's really important to JWs. Um, using scripture with them as well. Again, I've said about, you can do a little bit of... Uh, Bible tennis and you're bashing verses back and forth across the net. Um, it's hard not to get into that sometimes with them. But but use the Bible, it's the Word of God. You know, and, and let the Word of God speak to them. And I've put their questions. If you just look at the next few things here, coming to a close, you'll be pleased to know. Um, but I, I've got this thing where it's, it's a little, I've got this boxing thing here. This I'm not just telling you to hit them. But what I'm telling you to do is before you hit them. <laughs> Not literally. You need to jab them. So right at the bottom there on this first one, is the first one let's have a look on here, is it the one where it says the Bible teaches that Abraham is. Oh no, no. Oh, no. Thomas believed Jesus. Yeah, Thomas believed Jesus was God, why don't you? Now you could hit them with that straight away. You could say, turn to John 20:28. 20, the Bible says Thomas said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Um, why don't you believe Jesus is God? Um, Dick mentioned today, didn't he, about some JWs say, well, you know, um, Thomas was so startled, he, he said my Lord, and then he blasphemed, he said my God. Or I've heard Jehovah's Witnesses say, well, Thomas looked to Jesus and said my Lord, and then he looked up to heaven to Jehovah and said my God. It's all nonsense. Thomas is saying this to Jesus. And interesting again, in their Bible, big G. That's the point. Not a little G. Little G in their Bible means false God, or, again, everywhere apart from John 1.1 1, 1, where it's a God and they don't want to call him false. That is not the true God. But big G is Jehovah. So, by their logic, Thomas is saying here in their Bible to Jesus, my Lord and my Jehovah, yeah. my God. That's what he's saying there. So, you, you, that's where you wanted to get to. But if you throw that straight at them, their back comes up. So, what you do is, you do a few jabs first. So, you might say something like, do you believe the Bible to be God's word? Jab. Yes, we do. Do you think we should believe all that God's word teaches? Yeah, of course we do. Jab. Uh, do you believe that the disciples of Jesus believed he was God? No, we don't. Jab. Please turn to and read John 2028 20, 20, in your Bible. They read it. It's a jab. When they've read it, Thomas believed Jesus was God. Why don't you?
2: Smack. <laughs>
0: you see what you're doing there? So you're not You're smacking them. You're leading them to that point. And this is really, really helpful, particularly with Jehovah's Witnesses. So not just can bullet straight out, but lead them up to it. Get them to say things first. If you look at the next one, again, same idea. The bottom part is where you want them to get to. So again, you might say, do you believe the Bible to be the word of God? Jab. Uh, where will all the Old Testament believers be in the future? They'll say on the earth. So they don't believe anybody that died before Christ died has any heavenly hope. So it's jab. So you believe Abraham, Isaac and Jacob will live on the earth and not be in heaven. Is that what the Bible teaches? Jab. Yes, that's what we believe. Please turn to and read Matthew 8.11 in your Bible. In there it places Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. The Bible teaches that Abraham, Isaac and Jacob will be in heaven. Why do you disagree with the Bible? Smack. And so what you're doing is you're putting them in a place there where they're disagreeing with the word of God. You're not disagreeing with me. That's what the Bible says. You, You started off by saying you believe the Bible to be the word of God mm. so why do you deny what the word of God says and uh, Revelation 19 1 which is I think where you were going um, a really really good one this one with them again do you believe the Bible to be the word of God yes does the Bible teach all believers will be in heaven no uh, so you believe uh, the Bible teaches a great crowd will live on the earth are you sure yes please turn to and read Revelation 19 1 great verse in their Bible this get them to affirm several times the great crowd will be on the earth Yeah, on the earth. You sure on the earth? Yeah, on the earth. Is that what the Bible teaches? On the earth? Yeah, on the earth. Revelation 19.1. Then I heard the sound of a great crowd in heaven. And you say, so where does the Bible say the great crowd will be? And they'll say, on the earth. And you say, well, wait a minute. Read it again. I must have misheard. Read it again. Revelation 19.1. Great crowd in heaven. Where, Where does the Bible say the great crowd will be? On the earth. And then you realise they're captive to a concept. Mm. They're not following what the Bible teaches, they're following what these guys in America are teaching them. This is, this is what I yeah. sharing uh, earlier. Yeah. I had a job going so on and that I to this. Last year, I asked them yeah. yeah. Three times. We read it. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. But what you're doing is you're putting them in a place where well, you're actually now disagreeing with the Word of God. <coughs> Your own Bible version, even. Because these are all solid in their Bible. So an yeah, sorry, go
1: on. The
0: yeah, Bible. absolutely. Is, isn't that the whole point of full absolutely. She's the yeah, case... A- absolutely. So you, you come straight at them with all those Bible verses about the deity of Christ and about the Trinity and about hell or whatever. I'm not saying don't do that. But they're the things they're prepared for. So I've got a document at home, I've, I've not read it myself, um, it's far too good for me to have written, but it's called Opening the Closed Mind by an Ex-Jehovah's Witnesses, and it goes through a list of questions that you can ask them that they're not ready for, because that's what you want, because if you ask them something they're ready for, they're straight in there. But if you can ask them something they're not ready for, you can see the cogs going around, and like, uh, I don't know how to answer this question, let me just tell you one, uh, one final thing, and then any, any questions. Is that everything on there? I think it is. Yes, oh, spiritual warfare, yeah. Um, again, just one I, one I like to do, I often share this one, and you may, <coughs> may be aware of this if you've reached out to JWs and done it. But um, imagine you, you see some JWs in the city centre, and um, like I do, they're outside a shopping centre in Bradford beneath some escalators. And So I'll go up to them and say, can I give you a hypothetical question? And they're a bit suspicious, but say, no, it's nothing dodgy. I'm just going to ask you a question. Is that all right, yeah? So I just want you to imagine, I've just come out of the shopping centre and someone stabbed me in the back. I've got a knife in my back right now and I've got three minutes to live. And um, I'm not religious, but suddenly I'm I'm starting to wonder, is there heaven, is there hell? Because I've got three minutes left to live. And I see you guys here and I see you guys are religious. So can I ask you a question? And my question is, what must I do to be saved? I've only got three minutes left. That's an incredibly difficult question for Jehovah's (laughs) Witnesses. Because they want to say, well, you need to have a home Bible study with us, and you need to come to the Kingdom Hall, and you need to buy a suit and a briefcase, knocking a few hundred doors. They want to say all that, but they realise they can't say that. So while they're struggling with this, you can point out, come on, I've only got two minutes to live now, I don't know how to go. You're putting pressure on them. Now, a couple of responses, a couple of three responses you, you normally get to when you're doing this with them. One is, sometimes they end up with a thief on the cross next to Jesus. Which is a great place for them to get to. Because you can really push it and say, well, yeah, he didn't have long left to live. Well, what did he do to, to get eternal life? What did he do to, to be saved? He turned to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He said, truly I tell you today, you'll be with me. So that's all he did. He just turned to Jesus. That's all he had time to do. So that's great if they, if they think that through. He's saying, that what we've got to do as well another thing they might say if they're thinking on their feet is they they have a doctrine which teaches that if you die before Armageddon you will be given a second chance on the paradise earth anyway so this is what caught me when I began studying with them because my mum had died and I I was only 21 and they said to me your mum's died but Jehovah will give her a second chance on a paradise earth and it's coming soon it's always coming soon but you're only 21, and the odds are you'll live a lot more years. So if you, if you join us and become one of us, the only and you're still alive, when, when Armageddon comes, you need to be one of us and, and doing the biz to get through to, to Paradise Earth to see your mum again. Because if you're not one of us, and Armageddon comes, you'll just be wiped out completely. No second chance for you. So suddenly in my mind I'm thinking, I want to see my mum again. So what do I need to do? I need to be a good Jehovah's Witness. I need to buy the suit, buy the briefcase, knock on the doors, attend all the meetings. I need to do all this. And, and then I'm never sure, but that's the only way I've got of getting through Armageddon because it's coming soon to a town or city near you. And so, so that's what they believe. So you might have some say, well, look, even if you do die right now, you'll get a second chance anyway. At which point, at which point I would say to them, so as your message to the people of Bradford today... Basically, um, they're going to get a second chance anyway. Is that your message? And if they're honest, they'll admit yes. I'll say, well, the safest place for them is not to become a Jehovah's Witness. Because if you tell them, and they become a JW, they're going to work really hard, and then they might not make it. But if you don't tell them anything, and leave them alone, they'll just die and they'll get a second chance. So the safer bet... Yeah, well, you get your second chance. I've only got three minutes. Then what? Then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but usually, and this is most often I've had, is complete confusion about to answer that question. So you're down to a minute now, mm. and then you, and then you do, and then you, do, then you sort of get your mobile phone out and set the time: ten, nine, eight, seven. <laughs> they haven't got an answer, and then you will say, well, what is what is the biblical answer to my question? Mm. What must what must I do to be saved? What's the biblical answer? They are clueless. And you turn to Acts 16. Uh, 30, 31, and it's the Philippian jailer says, "What must I do to be saved?" What does Paul say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. That's all you need to. That's the biblical answer to my question. Is that in their Bible? That's all. That's yeah. That's fine in their Bible. Would some, some of them get there, or would they just not know it? Uh, they just. They, they, they I've never had they one get to that. They're act they're 16 known. to me. they never. They've never had them turn that. But, but again, get them to turn to their Bible and read that themselves. That's another good tactic. Get them to read their Bible, because when they're reading, you can think where you're going. If you're reading, they're thinking where they're going. So use it to your advantage. Get them to read There's
1: it. A couple here.
0: We don't have to go to breakfast. Yeah. To to breakfast. yeah? To to breakfast. Phyllis, come on, there. let's go. <laughs> yeah. Tony, you said you were joking
2: about, you know, get get the soup get get yeah. But how actually do
0: you become a? I'm not thinking of it, but how do you <laughs> be, <laughs> how do you become a Jehovah's Witness? Well, it's you get indoctrinated through their literature.
3: But there must be a moment when I am not. Oh, but now I am.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just there's, it's baptism. Baptism in their eyes is, yeah. that, is that you've thrown your full lot into. <coughs> you, you, when you get baptized as a JW, you pledge to be one of Jehovah's Witnesses and therefore to follow all the, the teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses. You can What they'll call is they'll call you a, um, an unbaptized publisher so a publisher, someone who publishes the good yeah. news so if you're baptised, you're a publisher you can be, as I was an unbaptised publisher right. so you're doing everything they're doing but you've not been baptised okay. because I think that final step of baptism is massive because you are then throwing your full lot in with them they can't disfellowship you up to that point they, they could sort of you know, you could disagree with them up to that point and they'll try and reason with you and convince you and if you cause problems, they'll tell you not to come anymore but once you're baptised, that's when they can do Are you No. So no when you important.
1: say baptised, real immersion?
0: Yeah, immersion. But you get baptised in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit-directed organisation. Uh, oh. Is that, oh. nice yeah. Said that yeah, they say that. Yeah. yeah. And so you so you are following, you are pledging your, your life and your obedience to the organisation. the Son God. Pardon? But they
1: don't see the Son as God. No. uh, Tony, I know that it's not in the script, but uh, Mm. uh, just to sort of uh, go back to where where you were, Mm. can you just give us a little bit, so those of us who don't know know you so well, can you give us a little bit of your story? Sure. So we get, uh, uh, it's it's been great uh, Mm. and fascinating having Mm. these various logical arguments Mm. and counter Mm. arguments, Mm. but there must come a point where the heart is sensitive Mm. even though the mind is inured. Yeah. And so what what, what happened? <coughs> yeah. Both, both both going in and coming out.
0: Yeah, I can give you a, a brief testimony. Um the thing is with, with all these things is there's no silver bullet. You know, I wish you could come and say this is what you do, and then they'll fall on their knees and they'll they'll follow Christ. Um lots of different stories about people coming out of cults and how God's works. But for me, um I went in because my mum died, I was searching they came to my sister's house. She knew I had lots of questions. She invited me around. She set me up, basically. Never <laughs> forgiven her. And um, she got involved with him for a short time with her husband as well. Began meeting with him, but he, he didn't hook into her like it he did me because I had all these questions. So I began a Bible study with him, book study I didn't know because I, I, know, I wasn't brought up in a Christian home, so I thought it was learning the Bible. There was lots of Bible verses in their literature. And uh, very quickly, you begin to see things um, their way really and I think one of the things that that gets to you quickly, I remember going through this with my dad at the time was that I thought I knew things that no one else in the world knew you know I was, I was being revealed new things, you know everybody thought Christmas was okay, well clearly it isn't um, you shouldn't have a blood transfusion you shouldn't celebrate your birthday, you shouldn't go to war or vote or, and all these things although the, the, a lot of them are red herrings really all these things sort of puff you up a little bit. It was like you sort of receiving like Gnostic sort of thing. You know, you got this knowledge that you knew and no one else knew. And I remember going home to my dad and really challenging him to come to the kingdom hall with me else he'd never see my mum again. Because they told me the end was coming soon. And their books are full of scripture but twisted. And so, uh, yeah, you can't go to the kingdom hall as well and not dress like them. You know, you stick out like a sore thumb. You know, so you, you begin to sort of put the shirt and tie on and everything. And you get the briefcase. Um, they invite you out onto the doors when they feel you're ready for it. Um, they train you up, all this kind of stuff. So I went and did all that and really believed I was in the truth. And um, they became my family. I, I spent more time with them than I did anybody else. I, I forego my girlfriend at the time and all the friends that I had. They were all on the back burner. The only time I engaged my family was to wind them up. And tell them that they needed to become Jehovah's Witnesses. They'll testify to that still today that I was a pain in the neck. Not now, of course. <laughs> they still testify. <laughs> yes, yeah, they I testify. Now. A different sort of pain in the neck now. So I, I was doing all this, thinking it was right. About three and a half years in, um, I began a new job. I met a guy who I heard was a Christian called David. He sat in his office eating his sandwiches every lunchtime. I thought, I'm going to go and have a chat with him. I went in. What's your motive? Well, obviously I just, I just said he was a Christian I thought I can convince him to become a Jehovah's Witness I, I, mean, that's, I, I was game for any discussion with anybody really but I thought it would be interesting I asked him to show me from the Bible I had my Bible with me um, to show me from the Bible, the Trinity he couldn't do it and I said well of course you can't do it, it's not true the word Trinity is not even in the Bible You know, through, through all my arguments about you know, all, the, all the stuff that you do and then um, he, we began meeting on a lunchtime and then there was another guy who was a Christian the two of them and I just felt I could tie them in knots with everything I knew um, but David was a really nice guy he tried to get me to go to his church I was never going to do that so he changed tack and said come and meet my family I've told my family all about you come and have, have a meal with us again I wasn't too sure at first but the elder I always reported back to an elder said go you know take literature when you get there go to the bathroom stick some watch time away wait." a <laughs> And the toilet area for him to read later and stuff. I went along for tea, met his family, but it was a little bit dishonest because when he said family, I thought he meant like his, his sons and daughter, but there were at least three guys from church there <laughs> as well. So I felt very uncomfortable being there. And for Jehovah's Witness to be in that, you felt like you're in the devil's trap. And suddenly, any assurance you had, which you never had any really anyway, you're on shaky ground, am I? displeasing Jehovah we moved into the living room afterwards they decided to pray one guy uh, he had his hand up in the air praying I'm like what on earth am I doing here Um, and then when he finished praying somebody else prayed that didn't happen in Kingdom Halls you know it was one person that was it so I felt very uncomfortable told David I wanted to leave and um, a young girl gave me a lift a young woman gave me a lift home and on that lift home um, all the way home I was saying can you explain the Trinity to me (laughs) that was my big thing and then, um, so I went back into work. We had to work together, so we built up friendship. Again, he gave me a lift home, blah, blah, blah. But little by little, he was sharing scripture with me. I couldn't tell you today what it was. And I was looking in my Bible, New World Translation, and I didn't understand it. And so I'd go back to the Kingdom Hall to the elders and say, what does this mean? And they always fobbed me off and say, look at literature, look at this magazine. And I thought, well, no, that doesn't make sense. And I didn't realise at the time but the Holy Spirit was opening my eyes and um, to such a point that carried on for a good number of weeks to such a point where he invited me to a meeting at Bradford Uni and I decided to go along not tell anybody at the Kingdom Hall I was going and it was there for the first time that I really um, found a, a Christian meeting where there was a gospel there was a Jesus being preached and um I was very confused, crying my eyes out. I didn't know why. I was really embarrassed. I wanted to run away, but I wanted to stay as well. And then two people at the end counseled me. And I I came home that night very mixed and confused. Really praying to Jehovah, show me what's true. Went to bed, woke up the next morning, completely different person. Just had a peace, um, which passed all understanding. I didn't understand at the time. I, I just knew Jesus was God immediately i couldn't prove it from the bible i just knew something had happened and i phoned david and said what's happened and he said i think you've been born again come to our church so that next day which was a sunday i went to his church and what i found out is that he'd had the people in the church there praying for me for at least six months and um, it's like they were waiting for me to walk through the door they knew my name they were loving towards me patient towards me because i had all this cult stuff to get out of me and and uh, that's how it works for me. Yeah. And
3: what did the Jehovah's Witnesses do? They?
0: Well, they came around my house later on that week, and I sent my dad to the door. I didn't go <laughs> to the door. And I said, just tell him I'm not here or something. And, uh, but I met them. Did your dad know what had happened? Um, yeah, he knew that I'd left them, for which he was very pleased. Yeah. Um, but he, he, I, think, I think my family, certainly in those early days, just thought I'd swap one cult for another, because yeah. they didn't get it anyway. <laughs> and... Um, and so, I think it was within a week or two later, I met a group of them on the street. And I was just strong enough to say, "Look, I'm going to church now. And they wanted to talk to me, but I didn't really entertain it. But not long after that, I began working for an undertaker's in Bradford. That was a fun job. And um, we had a funeral to do of someone from the Kingdom Hall that I went to. Oh, wow. So I, had to go, I went to the family's house. I had a, a fish in my lapel. I think it was a couple of months after and this woman Margaret lovely JW lady just came out and she saw it and she flicked it and said is this what you believe in now and it was her husband that passed away and we had to carry on our shoulders Paul her husband's coffin into the kingdom hall that I used to attend that was quite something Yeah, really challenging um, so
1: do they not pray?
0: they pray, but it's just it's just usually in a, in a meeting it's one guy I'll pray and that's it, there's no light let's all pray in. and 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 is that an extemporary
3: prayer or is it it one that's written from Brooklyn?
0: Um, I think it's it's extemporary yeah Um, I think Mm -hmm. they do have some, they do really have set prayers but I think they will write it down often to make sure they're they're very much like that, they'll make sure they're not saying anything wrong so they'll maybe want it written down so they'll say it I
1: I have an experience whereby I would speak to Jehovah's Witness and I asked them about church history Mm. I said were there any Jehovah's Witnesses from when the Apostles died Mm. to Russell's appearance, mm. and they said yes, and they mentioned
0: uh, William Tyndall. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no. Do you want to comment on that Yeah, they, they believed that there were Jehovah's Witnesses before then, but they, they didn't have as much light as they have today. So they'll claim Tyndall, they'll claim Luther, they'll claim all these guys for themselves. And they have an exhibition, where, and, and I've got a DVD with it on, yeah. where it goes through the history of the Bible. Yeah. And they claim that all these guys... So like your Tyndalls and everybody, Wycliffe, all these people, they were Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, but they just they didn't have the light. So you say, well wait a minute, you know, they were Trinitarian. Yeah, but they didn't have the light, you know, we received new light. And it was only through Russell in these last days that we've come to full light. Today, yeah. So yeah, interesting, isn't it?
2: As, as Christians we you know where paradise is, but mm. you said paradise earth.
0: Well what they believe is the belief that um, God's original intention was to populate the earth and it would be paradise like until Adam and Eve sinned. So they believe he's just going to restore that to an earth the earth to a paradise like state. So the vast majority of JWs, for them, that's where they believe they're going to exist. That's very it?
3: prevalent in the evangelical circles today. Well again,
0: we've got a new heaven and a new earth, you know, and I think a lot of people are confused so about you is, said you know, you hmm. be with me in paradise today. Yeah. They yeah. think that's the earth. They would, they would think that's the referring to the earth. Yeah, whenever see paradise in their head, that's paradise earth. Yeah. And so they, and you just think what as well, they've got the millennial reign of Christ. So, so you're dead, or you're a Jehovah's Witness that's done enough to get through. And you suddenly find yourself on this, on this earth that's a disaster, because in all their literature, there's fireballs coming down from heaven, blitzing all the churches, particularly clergy, and, and everything's obliterated. And like the Jehovah's Witnesses survive, and I remember one JW lady telling me that, if you're old enough, you remember the old Ready Breck adverts where somebody was walking around they had the glow around them. Oh, yeah. It's this idea of the Jehovah's Witnesses and this glow around them so the firebombs bounce off them and hit the church. Not and that, yeah. uh, so everything's a mess. And so you come back to life. And you're not resurrected, of course, because there's nothing to resurrect. So it's got to be recreation. They use the word resurrection, but it's really recreation. Jehovah remembers you in his mind. And you come back and you've got a thousand years to clean up the mess that's there and only at the end of it will you then be deemed worthy of eternal life. So basically, you know, and, and, sounds fun, doesn't it? It's not a it? very good offer, is it? No, I don't think, you know, that's, that's the good news. I don't think that is. So
2: when they talk about Armageddon, they say
0: what? Armageddon, they believe there's a time coming soon where God will judge the, the earth. Um, so they do believe in judgment. No, not as, not as we know it, now. So the judgment they believe, God will come and destroy everything on the earth apart from God's <coughs> and then it will be made into a paradise-like state again. And only those worthy at the end of a thousand years will live on that paradise earth and, and so begins again the Garden of Eden. So say that was his purpose and men messed it up and God won't be thwarted and he'll bring it back to that again. It is. Yeah, amazing.
1: Do they
3: socialise with each other as we do? Because we, you know, we go to church. Do. We have meals yeah. together and this sort of thing, don't we? Yeah, they they, 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 they only socialise with each other. Yeah,
0: then no one else. Right. But again, they're so busy with things. You know, there's some of the young ones hang out together and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. families might go around each other's house, but the the, the actual socialising comes when they knock on doors or they're out, out publishing together. There's someone I know who's yeah. got some at church whose wife. is Yeah got off the JWs basically
1: and she just seems to spend all the time out of the house socialising with them yeah. or mm. doing other things going away at weekends, doing things right.
0: yeah.
1: and all sorts of things so Very, so they because again, know, come, you know,
2: come to you after the service for like this and talk to socialised
0: amongst yeah the they do, they talk to each other but often they get ready to go out and knock on the doors on, if it's a Sunday what a lot of Kingdom Halls have now is they have multiple congregations meeting the Kingdom Halls so You'll have one congregation meeting in the morning, and the other congregation will go out door-knocking, and they'll swap over in the afternoon.
3: Um, and they make great strides with the Chinese here, haven't they? Oh, yeah. Well, with everybody.
0: Well, the Polish. I mean, there's, there's a, a, a full kingdom all of Polish <coughs> JWs in Leeds. And um, I, I sometimes go and talk to a Polish group, Christian group, just about this, because they're just getting sort of hassled by these JWs, and these JWs are learning languages, you know, they, they have their little app, you can download it yourself, teach yourself a language, we have a Chinese congregation meeting our church in Bradford on a Sunday afternoon, and a couple of years ago, uh, one of the guys came to me and said, can you talk to this lady, she'd arrived over from China, she couldn't speak very much English, Mandarin Chinese was her language, JWs knocked on the door, tried to talk to her, realised they couldn't get very far, Six months later, the same two JWs came to her house speaking Mandarin Chinese.
3: To well, speak to my him. brother-in-law, as you know, is totally deaf and therefore mute. They came to his door. They realized, and immediately they signed that we can get a signer to come and yeah. talk to you.
0: They're so zealous. They put us to shame, really, in their evangelistic efforts. And and again, it's all, it's all falsehood. And again, they're so zealous for for untruth. You know, where where are we? I mean, again, door knocking and stuff like that. These guys, that's what they do. You know, in our churches, you'd be lucky to get one person, two people maybe, and think it's something they want to do. And I'm not saying everybody should do it like them, but you imagine the amount of doors they knock on, they're going to meet people that are lonely, bereaved, desperate, looking for truth. And these guys are in. A lady contacted me a few weeks back, and she was in the Salvation Army. She was a Salvation Army officer for a while, and she'd met with some JWs, and they totally bamboozled her. And she was at a low point in her life. And, and got in touch with me and said, why shouldn't I meet with these people? They seem like lovely biblical people. Everything's from the Bible. So I shared with her lots of stuff. She said, oh, I'm glad I spoke to you. Uh, the day after, she blocked me on Facebook. Wouldn't, res- wouldn't, listen, wouldn't receive any calls from me or anything. And they just got to her. And then a while after, she sent someone else her, mobile number to, her new mobile number so I could phone her. Spoke to her again, she said, I'm in a mess, I don't know what's true. I just really encouraged her, said I'd go down and see her, she lives in, down in Nottinghamshire, and and everything, and uh, she said, no, I'm not going to go and be involved with them anymore, I'll just, I'll get rid of them, and just, I need some time out. Uh, but again, she just blocked me on everything, so I'm assuming she's back with them again. So no? are,
1: are these
0: people looking for truth, the people that they, that they, they latch on to, mm. or are they looking for love? I think Love. I think people, again, you know, doctrine, we see it in our churches as well, isn't it? You know, doctrine, we, we, we believe it's really important what we believe and why we believe it. But I think generally people just want someone to love them, care for them, and then after that will come the other stuff. So the Mormons as well, these young Mormon missionaries, you know, they, they will come and offer to do your garden, you know, to paint your house for you, they'll, they'll do whatever, Get them to do it, but then kick them out afterwards. Yeah. Don't have a study with them. Don't receive a Book of Mormon. But no, they, they, that's how they're working. And these guys come along, can we do any shopping for you? Can we help you with anything? And some people are so lonely that they just let them in the house. Mm-hmm. And uh, they just seem really lovely and friendly. And
2: what about the financial side? I mean, do, do all JWs send money to the headquarters in the States? Is it New York still? It's
0: Brooklyn. It? Well, it's, it's moved from Brooklyn now, so oh, it's still in New still near New York, it's a place called Warwick, they've got a fantastic facility hey, there. Know?
2: I didn't know.
0: They've sold all their buildings in, in Brooklyn in New York. Gonna a lot of money for them. Yeah. But it's still over that way, yeah. They they have an offering every week but they don't pass a plate round, they just put a box on the wall. If they
2: send money to they the send place. money,
0: yeah. It will all go to them, yeah. No one's paid in the Kingdom Hall. And, they, and again, that's another thing. What, they they no been full-time of, workers? It all goes to the organisation, yeah. No full-time workers in a community? What you can do is they have different levels of door knocking hours, as it were. <laughs> so you can be like a, a regular pioneer, auxiliary pioneer, a full-time pioneer, all these things. But if you if you do the full whack, which I'm not so sure how it is now, which is 60 hours a month or something knocking on doors, you will, you will get some recompense for that. But it's, it's basically just getting some expenses. Many of these JWs work part-time so they can do more, mm. more door knocking. Many of them are window cleaners, see that as a dual purpose, they go around oh, people's yeah. houses anyway. And, and, um, Rent a kill. Yeah, uh, I mean this is the thing uh, as well, you know, the they, 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 they live uh, uh, on a, on a meagre allowance in order to spread this stuff. Lots of them, um, part time work. And is the organisation quite rich? Yeah, I'd say within themselves, yeah. yeah. They have a lot of money. Um, they used to charge for their publications, they don't anymore. When I was with them, okay. I would have to buy the literature on a Sunday morning, so I would like give them my ten pounds, and then I had to go knock on doors and ask for twenty five P for like the two <laughs> magazines to get my money back. If I wanted to get my money back. And if I wasn't bothered I could just give them freely. But the money went to the watchtower anyway. They got it from me, the beggars. So
1: so, so people who are who are trapped in this hmm. um, if for whatever reason they don't want to be trapped, mm. what is it that sucks them back in? Is it, the, is it that they are dominated by the organisation, controlled? Is it that they've got a, a social network that they don't want to upset? Or that they haven't got any other social network to which
0: they can, um, mm. they can move? I think it's all those things. I think it's really costly for people to come out because you end up socialising just within the group, all your <coughs> friends are in the group, you probably work with people in the group, and suddenly, you know, to, to leave means you lose all these all these things. You'll be disfellowshipped. Your parents are told not to have anything to do with you. Again, so, you know, that's incredibly difficult for them. They're told that that's the most loving thing to do. If you shun your loved one, they'll feel so bad they'll come crawling back because they, they, they want your love and your acceptance. And again, you know, if you believe as well that you belong to an organization through whom God works and the only group through whom God works... To leave the group is to leave God. And so it's massive for them.
1: So that's similar to Ardent Catholics. Yeah. That that, yeah. that if you don't go to Mass, you'll go to hell. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah very much so.
2: Yeah. Okay. I, I think we'll yeah. uh, to just kind of jump oh, in there. Can I, there. I, think,
0: I think just mention?